Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 38 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor show by show from the beginning. As always, I'm Trevor Game, and as always, I am joined by Matt Feuerstein. Matt, we are back to finish the second ever Ring of Honor double shot. I feel reborn again. Um, I've never been a religious man, but I've been born again now twice in the past month, so I guess I'm a Christian. Well, you're going to have to be reborn one more time before the process is, process is complete, That's wink. True. But uh, speaking of the second of things, we are joined by the second ever member of the Two Timers Club. And I'm not talking about people that cheat because this guy is faithful. I am talking about people that have appeared on this show twice. We have Joe Gagne, and now we have the good doctor himself from AAW, and uh, Dr. Keith Presents, the Perusa Power Hour, way back then, Dr. Keith Lipinski. How are you doing? Oh my goodness, guys. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast and being in such esteemed company as uh, Joe Joe Lasagne? What, what? I, I, I don't know who you're talking about. Joe Fettuccini. Joe Fettuccini, oh man, he was a great worker back in the day. I think, I think, I believe he was in like a six-man scramble or do or die early on, probably in Elizabethtown, New, New York. But no, seriously, guys, it's always a pleasure to be on this podcast. As I've said before, and I'll say it many times, I don't care what they say about you, Bix. I love you. Oh wait, bro, sorry, <laughs> sorry, that's the wrong. Po- that's the wrong six-hour podcast. I, I, I don't know why I thought. I- oh, we're talking Ring of Honor. You know, I, I was I was going to say you're going to get us in trouble, but we've already gotten ourselves in so much trouble. So what's you, the, what's the point of even trying? You guys to stop it? do such a fine job on Twitter getting yourselves in trouble. You don't need an old school man like myself, you know, to tell you what you not to do because you guys are doing it. So like I like I said before, I really appreciate this podcast and thanks for having me on to talk about, of course, a historic ROH show. Of course, as you mentioned, they are reborn, and but they are not reborn to completion yet. This is only a fame stage two they had to wait till they get back on the east coast to you know get reborn to completion so my, my biggest regret is that uh stage the uh, ring of honor reborn complete stage completion or whatever was not simply called stage three so i could have made a hacky jimmy pardo style that's full stage three that's full blown joke but unfortunately no they just go from one to two to complete but if you speaking of things that are um complete because it has a beginning middle and end boy this is a great uh transition i'm trying to figure out where you're going here with it <laughs> I, i'm just on the i'm on the edge of my seat right now waiting for it there are plenty of things that have a beginning middle and end on the pro wrestling only podcast network things that start things that have a middle things that have a finish lots of great podcasts including if this is just not enough matt Feuerstein with you for you and why would it be like honestly oh, like, no one gets enough oh yeah i've had um, enough of myself already and i said one thing so far <laughs> Uh, Matt was on between the last episode and this one again on the Pro Wrestling Super Show. So if you liked the uh, Royal Rumble draft episode and the WrestleMania draft episode, well, now they did it for SummerSlam. And I believe the voting is still up on Stephen Graham's Twitter. So listen to that show and you can actually vote. You can you can decide history, listeners, if you yeah, listen to that episode. And, and really, this is one of those points where voting actually matters. So I, I think everyone should step out of their way, maybe pause the podcast for a little bit, and you know, maybe not turn on the ROH uh, VHS tape where you can watch it with us in unison. But I think they should go vote right now. The most consequential vote you'll possibly make in the next six years of your life. 
I would think your lifetime, basically. Yeah, probably. I would think that's pretty. I mean, I know a few years ago, if you smacked down your vote when WWE told you to, that might be something. But this is a lot bigger, guys, than the president of the USA. Yeah, if you don't, if you don't vote for me, I am. Um, I'm. I'm never going to record another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give, like we were... Don't give them any sort of empty promises. You better yeah. be on point with it. You know? Yeah, that's true. I like that we went from the span of the WrestleMania draft episode of the Pro Wrestling Sh- Super Show. I believe you said something like, you don't have to, don't vote for me just because, uh, you know, you listen to through the years and you like me. Like, you know, and now we've transitioned to, if you don't vote for me, I will never podcast again. Well, that's because, that's because I won the Royal Rumble one, but I lost the WrestleMania one. So now I have to raise the stakes. You have to win the rubber match. That's right. It's like that homicide promo from a few shows ago where he was like, I don't know when I'm coming back. I don't know when I'm coming back. Oh, yeah, I'm going to come back on two shows or so. Maybe, (laughs) maybe, maybe not. I don't know. And, you know, sure enough, he came back. That's right. I am am exactly like homicide. (laughs) Oh, definitely. Well, if you talk in that accent, maybe you would. Yeah, but I don't want to get beat up, so I can't. Well, we get to a show tonight with plenty of homicide content. In fact, kind of, it's bookended by homicide. So we get to Reborn Stage 2, tonight's show, which took place April 24, 2004, at the Frontier Fieldhouse in Chicago Ridge, Illinois, in front of a reported crowd of 800, which I was going to say, that that was a really pretty good crowd by Ring of Honor standards in 2004, but quite frankly, that might be a good crowd by Ring of Honor standards in 2019 (laughs) now. So, uh... Absolutely. It's funny. I was thinking. To, I was thinking just like a few when I was prepping the show. I was thinking about that, and I was thinking like when we started this show, Matt, we were talking about oh, you know, these crowds. It's crazy that you know Ring of Honor is doing record business and you know drawing thousands on WrestleMania weekends, and you know, and now they're only doing five hundred here, five hundred, and it's now it seems like the Ring of Honor of the past has caught up to Ring of Honor of the present, which is not a good sign, maybe. Well, it's a cyclical business, though, gentlemen. I mean, yes. uh, or have you ever thought that you guys might be the reason that it's, our show attendance is down? If, it's, if, 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 I, if I have that much effect on anything, then I have a problem with the way society is right now. I should not be influencing anybody to do anything. I mean, I've, I've mentioned this before on Twitter, but it, it staggers. It just staggers me that there there have been many recent Ring of Honor shows where fewer people have attended than listened to this podcast. Like we have more wow. listeners than they have attendees sometimes, frequently this year. So that is, I would I like I, I've always said that is not a good sign. If I'm beating you at anything. Yes. You, you've done something wrong. So I really hope the listener rates are up to like a WrestleMania level show, like maybe a Madison Square Garden for my appearance on your show. But, you know, it might be sort of like a Toronto, and I apologize in advance. Well, actually, Keith, the last show of ours that you were on got like four times the normal amount of our listeners. So either you're just that big of a draw or there was some sort of glitch. But one way or another, our numbers for that episode were huge. Like I'm not even I'm not exaggerating. It was like many many times our second most uh, many many by many many factors our most listened to episode ac- according to the numbers. Well, I, I think it's because my mom probably listened to it a few times. Uh huh. That's <laughs> probably I, I'm not talking to her this week, so that's another story altogether. Oh, it has nothing to do with wrestling. Uh, no, uh, well, that's great to know. So now, now I'm under pressure to deliver, guys. So mm-hmm. thanks, thanks. Here I was thinking I'm putting together some material about pinatas and hard seltzer, and now, now I'm going to actually have to deliver. But uh, 
Good thing we got a good show to talk about. Look, you're not Joe Gagne, so you've already succeeded in like the <laughs> only metric I care about. So oh, we're so mean to him. <laughs> but he loves so, it. He really loves it. Him, him and Sempervivi just love any time they mention him. Because it's like any time that Joe Gagne or Mike Sempervivi is mentioned, an angel gains its wings. If, if Mike didn't like abuse, he wouldn't be doing so many shows with Brian Alvarez. So, Hi-yo! Boom! Golf swing. But uh, we open... How's it going, everybody? <laughs> We opened the show that we actually watched uh, proper with Brian Danielson in the ring and the empty building before the show starts. He uh, welcomes us to another installment of Samoa's Joe, Samoa Joe's ring, but says Joe is no, has no show because he's too unprofessional. Uh, Brian tries to act cocky here. Brian, uh, Matt, we've uh, defended Brian Danielson's early career acting. This is not one of the performances I would say we should defend. He uh, starts to demonstrate a wrist lock on a student when Homicide jumps in the ring. Uh, Homicide tells Brian that he's been looking for Joe, but then immediately says he'll be taking Joe's place, saying that Joe can't be here due to, quote, a little burning sensation, unquote, on his face. Uh, Danielson doesn't know why Joe is interrupting him with that information, and he just goes back to demonstrating the wrist lock. Uh, Homicide compliments him and acts like he's going to demonstrate a wrist lock of his own on this dude, when instead he just levels him in the head with a really stiff forearm. Homicide then says, damn, sucks to be him, in a pretty hilarious, just affectless deadpan. And then Brian says, Homicide hits hard, but he's never been stretched by anyone like him before. And Homicide replies again, saying that he's looking for Joe, and then he tells Joe, who I guess he's presuming that Joe is watching this weeks later when it's probably already healed, but he says, put a little Vaseline on your face, Joe. And uh, Homicide then says he and Brian are wrestling tonight, and they aren't going to be trading headlocks and wrist locks. Uh, Homicide's promos are so amazingly rambling, I'll just say. He says stuff like, tonight I'm going to win this match, but I will do anything to win this match. Like, as if one contradicts the other. Um, my, my, favorite, my, favorite hom- my favorite Homicide line from this was to Brian Danielson. He goes, and you have a little show named In the Ring with Samoa Joe. And Brian, which is not even close to what the name of that show is. In fact, it's called Samoa Joe's Ring. So I uh, just the homicide just—he's just on another plane of existence. But I thought he was awesome here, despite that. I was actually listening to uh, watching a interview with Jason Alexander on YouTube, which is you know as people are wont to do, <laughs> and he he was talking about uh. Uh, St- uh, Jeffrey, uh, St- uh, what's it, the first name? Stiller, the the guy who played his father, Jerry, Stiller? Jerry, Jerry Stiller. Stiller. Yeah, Jerry Stiller. And he was saying that uh, Jerry Stiller, he said it was great, but why he thought his cadence was so great was because Jerry Stiller constantly couldn't remember his lines. So if you watch Seinfeld, he said the whole cadence of him talking would always be like. The stuttering of his con- of of the, his line reading would be he would remember each part of the line like every five seconds, and the way if you watch Homicide, it always feels like he is like Jerry thinking Stiller. of what he's going to say. Like he pauses and then he'll say something sometimes that contradicts, like that famous promo we talked about a few episodes ago, where he decides within the span of a promo that he's retiring, that he's going to maybe come back, and then he's definitely coming back. It's like Homicide is constantly figuring out what he's going to say three seconds after he says it. I think, and I think that's what makes him amazing. I I agree with that. I but I think more than more than Jerry Seller, I think he just like literally just doesn't know what he's going to say half the time. <laughs> I mean, he's I, great. 
I think he's sort of, he's at the top of the hill, and he throws down the promo, the big boulder from the top of the hill, and whatever ends up getting in his mouth during it, it gets said, and God bless him for that. I, I personally enjoyed this very special episode of Samoa Joe's Ring, starring Brian Danielson with Homicide. Like, it was, it was, <laughs> it was a nice, enjoyable start, but it was typical Homicide, where he's looking for Joe, even though Joe's not here, so he's already looking for something he can't find, basically leading to, you know, Homicide, of course, winning the ROH title many years later because of the fact that, you know, he was looking for it and now he finds it a few years later. But uh, it was a nice way to start the the promo and start the show. You know, I always enjoyed the Samoa Joe's ring because I think it it gave him a a different edge and sort of, you know, like, hey, I'm not only just a champion, I'm here to teach you something. And I, you know, in an era where WWE was saying a lot, please don't try this at home. It was good. Ring of Honor was showing us how it should be done. I mean, that's that I learned how to do my wrist locks. Just oh, I, I, my wrist lock is a lot better because I do the homicide approach, which that's I do a stiff forearm on a ring boy. So, you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, nice, nice way to start the show and, and continuing with the theme that we will have for the whole show is where's Joe. And even though, you know, yeah, I'm looking for Joe. He's not here. Okay, well, then why are you? Uh, what, what? What? Why are we here? Why are we doing this? Why is this camera on? You know, uh, so next, we uh, we head backstage to see Dave Prezak talking to Matt Stryker backstage. I already said backstage. And we're joined mid-sentence as Prezak is apparently in the middle of explaining to Matt why he chose to wear a green shirt instead of a white one. So some scintillating conversation. Uh, Nigel McGuinness interrupts, and he says he hopes they're not filming. Prezak says they aren't. He's a dirty liar. Uh, Nigel congratulates Stryker on beating him the previous night, and he hopes he can wrestle him again in the future and he wishes him good luck against Samoa Joe tonight before leaving. So Nigel being a very nice young boy here. And uh, from behind the camera, Gabe counts down, and we get the quote-unquote official promo. Um, Stryker talks about getting a chance to win the world title tonight, saying that he knows Joe is hurt, and he's one Death Valley driver away from winning the world title. Stryker says he's never seen anyone work on Joe's leg, though, and maybe he's found a weakness. Uh, the promo then cuts, but of course the camera keeps rolling, and we see Stryker ask Prezak if Joe is in the building yet, and Dave says he hasn't showed up yet, so... This is the second of, yes, like 800 mentions of Joe is not in the building. I feel bad picking on Matt Stryker because I feel like I've been doing that the past few shows. But, like, even on the night of his big world title match, the guy can't even be bothered to pretend to show any emotion. Like, in all these promos, he's just like, yeah, man. Working, I think I might work on his leg. Never saw anyone do that before. Like, he just, he doesn't, he doesn't even pretend to, to it's weird. I, I don't know what his deal is. Yeah, I just, uh, I mean, I have a lot to say about Matt Stryker later, but Matt, I'll just say, I literally wrote down in my notes for his match, I, I feel bad that I've been picking on Matt Stryker so often lately, and so, <laughs> like, I felt the exact thing you did, but I, I, unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess it depends how you look at it, I don't think we'll be picking on Matt Stryker for Matt much longer, so. At least not very often. Yeah, so um, there needs uh, to be more promos on the show, by the way, where we got a, a promo countdown. As someone that's a producer that doesn't really get to be on screen or we get to hear very often, I appreciated that. So if you watch upcoming AAW releases, I'll make sure that we do promos within the promo just to make myself happy. Where it's sort of <laughs> like, you know, okay, are we really doing 
on this? Is this going on right now? Another thing is when you're doing a promo, make sure that there are people around that can interrupt because that makes the promo even <laughs> worth it. Because later on, we're going to see another promo where almost the exact same thing happens, where multiple people are coming in, congratulating, wishing them good luck, wishing them well. I did like, though, the fact that you know no one really bought. When, when they announced it was going to be Samoa Joe versus Matt Stryker in Chicago Ridge for the show, no one really bought that this was going to be the end of Samoa Joe's reign. But Matt striker you know maybe not a lot of passion but at least he has a game plan i, I can dig someone with no passion but they have a game plan i don't think anyone's worked on joe's leg i'm gonna work on that where instead he could have been i don't think i think my opponent last night if he shows up or not i think he was burned maybe i will go for his horrible burns that he has <laughs> on his face in order to win heavyweight championship gold so you know. so matt striker's either a man of honor or he just can't be bothered one of the other <laughs> It's a man of honor that can't be bothered, I believe. And I believe that would have been great on a t-shirt at ROHwrestling.com. <laughs> it's not too late. <laughs> listen, hey, listen, if you're a producer, you can give anyone that gimmick. Uh, so are we saying that Matt Stryker is the original Orange Cassidy, the original man who can't be bothered? So, I, I would like think it. if he had his hand in his trunks a little bit more, <laughs> you know, like, you know, with that unibrow, it does sort of look like a pair, big pair of sunglasses, so... <laughs> Um, so we go somewhere else backstage where, uh, Becky Bayless is sending a message to Special K wanting to know why they aren't returning her calls and asking them for them to get in contact with her. When Jack Evans interrupts, he does a little break dance move in front of her and then informs Becky that she got served, homie. That was the best segment so far that we're one for three now. Well, they're, they're, Um, they're giving, um, they, so they're, 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 you can already see the reborn that they're giving Jack Evans and Becky Bayless like personalities and characters for the first time ever. So I guess that's part of the new booking style. And this is a this is a trope that Ring of Honor went to multiple times during this period because we just got through the Julius Smokes on a couple shows asking someone for homicide to call them. I don't know if so, like Gabe or someone in Ring of Honor had something in their life where they had like an annoying friend that wouldn't call them or something, and they're working through things. But like, there's at least two or three I think of these in in the next in this like year of Ring of Honor angles where it's basically like. All of a sudden, my partners or friends in this wrestling stable have disappeared, and I'm begging them on home releases to call me because I think they're still buying the DVDs. <laughs> or it could be this. It could be, oh, we have this person booked. We have no one else being booked. We need something out of you. Can you do a quick promo? What do I want me to say in the promo? Say how much you miss them. And then Jack Evans is going to dance in front of you. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Sure to be thing. fair, if I... If I was producing segments, every segment would just end with Jack Evans doing a break dance and then saying, you got served. Well, you know what? She did get served. <laughs> definitely. I, I, Jack didn't even need to say that. And next, we cut to the opening segment of the show. But before we get to the match, there's a little bit of stuff that happens before. We see a steel get his ring introduction, but then the Briscoes jump him from behind and they hit him with the Spike J Driller. Uh, Jay gets on the mic. He proceeds to call Chicago a shithole before Punky Cabana hit the ring and they fight the Briscoes off. They get a big babyface reaction. So they've... Flip the face heel dynamic completely for this show since uh, Punk and Cabana, this is their hometown. Uh, Punk gets on the mic and he says this is his hometown, so really leaning into that, making sure you get the big face reaction. He says the Briscoes and Saints match tonight is like Hart versus Austin from Mania 13 or Brett versus Owen in the cage at SummerSlam 94. Those get big reactions. Uh, Punk says people forget where they came from, but he hasn't. 
Uh, he turns to check on Ace Steel, and then the Briscoes use that as an opportunity to trip him, drag him out of the ring to beat him down again until Colt hits a big SIA moonsault onto both of the Briscoes. Both teams brawl to the back, and then BJ Whitmer, Ace's opponent for the night, gets on the mic, and he says he didn't come down to this pisshole town to win by forfeit, so he came to prove the prophecy is better than the Second City Saints. A hurt Ace Steel screams, fuck you, let's go, and the match is on. So, Matt, uh, I want to ask you what you think about the match, but also, I guess this is something we've picked up on on watching every show, which is... A lot of times when Ring of Honor comes to a new town, they start the show with like an in-ring segment that kind of sets up the main event for the night. I guess in in the fear that maybe some of the fans have never seen a Ring of Honor show before. So just in case you haven't, we have to establish like this is the main event tonight. This is who you should cheer. This is who you should be. You know, it's something they do on most of these shows. And then we got uh, the an actual opener. B.J. Whitmer defeated A. Steel via pinfall in 554 after he hit a wrist clutch, wrist clutch exploder. Matt, not a too, not that long of a match, but what did you think of it? Yeah, it was it was mostly just a capper to the uh, to the angle to start the show. Um, I thought that the opening angle was really good. I thought it not only established for new fans, but also established for anyone else watching that uh, Punk and Cabana were the baby faces tonight um clear-cut baby faces in chicago the briscoes you know made sure to heal themselves by cheap shotting ace and um i think the match got a lot more over because of that intro than it would have been so the crowd was pretty firmly behind ace at the start and you know gave the match you know short as it was a little bit of direction where whitmer was um was working on uh uh steel's back and neck after the j trailer um and he kept uh, he kept trying to get the wrist clutch. Ace kept f- fighting him off, getting trying to get out of it until he finally hit it, won the match. You know, so it was not a squash match, but it was a very simple, straightforward match. Uh, and um, you know, Whitmer hit Ace with a chair at the end. And um, yeah, it was more more just an angle. It was part of a it was part of a bigger angle. The match itself was um was not really much but i thought it was completely effective yeah i I thought it was solid um like you said it was mostly just story based it was ace being hurt from the the steel chair shot to the head which was a pretty brutal chair shot and he gets one big comeback and then after the comeback ends it kind of abruptly bj wins with the wrist clutch exploder i thought it was it was it was fine decent action for what it was uh i believe this is one of the first times we've ever heard in ring of honor the wash your face chant directed at bj whitmer which is i always was a little a little perplexed by that i mean i know what it means but whenever he got that because i was like he has acne scars he doesn't actually have acne any more like washing his face you should be getting him like see a dermatologist that should be the chant or you know get one of those like weird facial abrasion things that's supposed to cure like pockmarks like or something like that i i don't know or i, be- I don't think oxycutum would be as good of a chant as wash your face though so or like some stridex pads you know stridex pads <laughs> Okay, the actually, ex- that one works. Maybe his, fa- ex- maybe his face was just beyond the acne scars. Maybe his face was just literally dirty, and you could only see it in person. <laughs> I, 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 and that's one of the things. You have to go to these shows live to witness the face in person. So, that's right. You know. uh, he, yeah, he, I, he, had a, he had a bit of a face in peril, I guess. Oh, <laughs> hi-oh. The excellence of execution is all I wanted to say. 
Oh, that's even better. So, uh, yeah, I, I was there live, and I thought this was a really good way to start the show. Of course, you know, it wasn't like we had, it wasn't like they had a big jumbo Tron or a Sinclair Tron to show us the opening three segments that were pretty miserable. Uh, like, I, I thought this was a pretty strong opening that definitely, as you guys both mentioned, sort of defined the characters that were there, and definitely, you know, considering what we'll see later on, sort of book ended the show pretty nicely with it being a celebration sort of a, a homecoming as it were for you know cm punk and colt cabana you guys got to remember in in 2004 in chicago you know basically if you wanted to see guys like this you would have to drive to indiana to see iwa mid-south and such and i i know you know for one i was you know happy as a clam to see roh come to chicago come to the chicago ridge frontier park field house where you know back in the day uh, mcw had wrestling shows uh midwest championship wrestling uh uh, had shows back in the day there so it was something where it was a, a nice homecoming and a good way to start it off to basically have the clear and decisive you know these are the good guys here are the chicago guys you guys want to cheer these guys so and the fact that they hit the j driller and then basically it ended up with bj teasing the wrist clutch and then hitting it for the win was a very solid way to start the show hey keith uh, that that reminds me of asking you like so this is you know one of roh's you know pretty historic venues from that era but i was never there what what do you think of that venue? Like, do you think it was a good venue for RH? Do you miss it? Like, what, what do you think? I miss it because I, I felt it was good because it was the ovations were capped up pretty well. And it was something where you can get a crap load of people in there or you could close it off and make it even nicer. So there's like standing bleachers on each side. I mean, I, I think, I think, uh, you know, I, I've seen really small ROH shows there. I've seen really huge ROH shows there. So I always liked the venue. Uh, it was just, it was, it was a, a fun place to watch wrestling. You know, the bathrooms, the bathrooms were notoriously awful, which is always good for a pro wrestling venue, but it wasn't like it had like amazing, like, keep in mind guys, last week I was at the Budokan hall for a bunch of shows and, you know, like, uh, you know, that, that's a little bit different than the frontier park field house and beautiful Chicago Ridge, Illinois. But, uh, you know, it was, it was a nice little venue for professional wrestling and I, I missed going to shows there. You know, I think actually now with the way ROH is, I think actually running a place like the Frontier Park Field House is a better option than running the Odium, especially if they're not going to have the, the people to actually fill the seats in the show. That makes sense. And the crowd reactions always did come off very well on the DVDs that were produced in that building. Yeah, I, I think actually, like, uh, that's something I want to mention is I think it's a testament to Chicago as a great wrestling market that you know they drew 800 for their first show, which is, I think, pretty good at this point for Ring of Honor in any market, let alone a debut. And I was a little surprised by how over everybody was like some yeah. some of these new markets you you don't always hear you you, you know you can tell that not ever, some people are just there because wrestling's in town and maybe their friend that's a big fan dragged them to it but here like every local guy that you know they had to have either seen from a home release or from other indies they work like austin aries gets a big pop which is just because he's a local area guy you know punk and cabana are hugely over on this show and so unlike other shows you know it's it, they do segments like the one we just described to open the show in these new markets because they're they're unsure of like how many people are familiar with the wrestlers and the product. But this was a market where clearly, right from the get go, they were very knowledgeable and very into like everything going on. 
We got to remember, though, the other thing is RF Video actually had a cart in the Gurney Malls, which is north of Chicago. So a lot of people that would get their tapes, like a lot of tape collectors would go there. And when ECW died, Ring of Honor became the thing if you wanted to sit there and see American work rate companies, where it was a little bit, you know, like IWA Mid-South might have been the early 2000s. But then once Ring of Honor started, that became the stuff. And, you know, got fans like myself, where we were used to, you know, getting fan cams and wondering what the guy with the bucket hat that shoots the fan cams is up to these days now they have the answer to both those things all in one in this ring of honor promotion so um so i just wanted to mention that after the match um I, I made a mistake. I said earlier that uh, BJ hit a steal before the match. No, he hits him with the chair shot after the match. He uh, he stomps on Ace. He gets on the mic after he won. He says he proved the prophecies better. Then he says it's time to finish this. And then he hits him with the big, brutal chair shot. And the refs run in to check on Ace. And then that brings us to the next match. And that would be the Carnage Crew, or as I would call them, the Carnage Crew B team. Because it's Just Incredible and Masada defeating Delirious and Sean Daivari via pinfall in 8 minutes, 9 seconds. When Masada pins Delirious after he hits, basically, I would say, a fisherman's buster onto his knee. Uh, Keith, what did you think about this kind of... Uh, uh, this is a weird matchup. This is it a- is. It is because it basically is a, a wonderful matchup that was, I, I think in the promoter's eyes, this was a delightful matchup that was thrown together light, lightly, where it was sort of a, we have these guys to be on the show. What can they do? I think, I think just incredible was originally supposed to have an extreme three-way dance with Raven and Jerry Lynn, or at least that's what the poster that I'm staring at on the wall is telling me from the show. But unfortunately that whole, Rob Feinstein Wild Boys video happened, and then that, that, of course, did not happen. But it was something where it was thrown together, but Chicago was definitely familiar with, you know, Delirious, of course, coming out of the St. Louis area, and then Davari, of course, coming out of the Midwest as well. And I remember seeing Davari a few weeks before this and doing the uh, magic carpet ride, as it were, not the... Uh, uh, not the awful 1960s song, which now you all now have in your head, which I apologize. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it was just incredible and Masada and it was something, it was very interesting thinking about what has happened to some of these guys in the match in the, you know, the 15 years since this. Yeah, that, that actually, uh, that was one of the things that struck me most, but, uh, actually first, I think I'll throw it to you, Matt. <laughs> what did you think about an eight minute just incredible and Masada versus Delirious and Sean Daivari match. First of all, should I mention what struck me most? Um, I think I already mentioned it to you. So there was a moment in this match, and I got to give props to to Keith um, because there was a chant that was directed at Daivari very quickly after he was tagged in, and it was a very uh, you know um, rude and uh, racist chant. It was um, where's <laughs> thank you for thanking me for it. Yes, <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't finish. <laughs> I'm wondering where we're going with it. End the show you'll, right here. You'll, li- you'll, li- you'll like where I'm going with this, I no, promise. Okay. Um, so it was, <laughs> it was Where's My Slurpee was chanted at Tavari, which doesn't make sense for a whole number of reasons and is just bad. But it was a fairly loud chant, but then it was combated with an equally loud You Are Racist chant directed at the original chanters. And I looked very closely, and the person leading the chant 
was somebody sitting directly next to one Dr. Keith Lipinski. I assume oh. your best buddy, and he was uh, comb- he was he was Antifa for 2004. That's what <laughs> I, that's what it seems like he was. He was fighting wow. the Chicago Proud Boys at the Ring of Honor show with his <laughs> with his anti-racist chants. I believe at that time at that show I was sitting next to some of the people who would later be known as the Tools of Chicago. So uh I, I believe it was one of them, and I, I believe they did not smell that good, but I believe no one really smelled that good in that building that <laughs> evening. But uh, it's good to see that Chicago looks out for each other like that, you know, where even a comment about a delicious Slurpee can be taken in jest and sit there and brought back. So I'm glad. Thank you, whoever that is. I actually think it might be a friend of mine, and I might actually text him right now okay. just to see, just to get an exclusive scoop, because it might have been a friend of mine uh, because uh, I, I was watching this today, not not to watch to talk on the show, just to see for multiple appearances of myself. On it. <laughs> uh, and then, and then, of course, you know, my first thought is while watching the show, I'm like, wow, the Briscoes look so fucking young on this. Punk looks young on this. Cabana looks young on this. I, oh my god, I've aged horribly. What the heck? Yeah, yeah. For uh, this is another show where uh, our guest attended live, and I would say of all our guests, and we've had a, a bunch of our guests who have attended Ring of Honor shows live. Doctor Keith is by far the easiest to spot when you are watching one of these shows because he is a very tall man, and he usually has the good seats. So, but lots of our guests have one of those things. Doctor Keith is the double threat in that sense. I mean, uh, Joe Sposto gets the good seats, but he's usually sitting down. Doctor Keith is just. Standing tall and proud and leading the chance, fighting the good fight against the racists, and it, it's hard to miss him when you when you know what he looks like. So that is true. You will definitely catch him if if you watch the show now. Based on this review, you will definitely because also there are people in his crowd that seem to get involved in this show a lot tonight, and so the camera definitely cuts to that multiple times. Well, they knew they, knew they had a future internet celebrity in in, in the midst. <laughs> that's right. I think yeah, you were you were all you were already an internet celebrity. That's that's what yes. I say. Um, I, not this this I, I, this is when I was really starting. My I think I was writing for the torch of the, at the yeah, time. Do- so I was doing some things, but not very. I, I mean, I, I think I was also doing stuff for. I think I was doing the PPH by now. Once you get to be my age, guys, you forget everything. So you know <laughs> that's that's why that's why guys like Tony Schiavone do podcasts where they can watch stuff and 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 bring up a few memories. You know, uh, like it's, my it's, first memory of of. The the Frontier Perk Fieldhouse was the fact that they had a shower right by the bathrooms, which seems a little odd. And sometimes <laughs> the showers and bathrooms would overflood a little bit, can train a really weird stream of, of something in Chicago Ridge. <sighs> Sounds like something that we shouldn't talk any more about. Um, but, but, uh, but most of all, I think the most important thing is Keith hates racism. I just want to yeah, make sure that's that right. That's, yeah, here. that's right. He fought the good fight. And um, <laughs> as far as the, uh, the match itself, I actually liked it like i was surprised by how much i thought it was pretty solid like i thought that credible uh had some pretty good energy and i thought delirious even though the night before was his do or die match i thought he looked much better and got to do more here than he yeah. did uh the previous night against uh, his buddy seidel um i uh, i also um i also enjoyed the magic carpet ride i in fact enjoyed punk's commentary where he said i know nothing about magic carpet rides but i do know a lot about carpet 
<laughs> which you, and, and you could hear Gabe try and stifle a laugh. I think that there's multiple instances <laughs> of uh, that tonight where Punk definitely seems to get like a kick out of trying to say something that's going to get Gabe to have to bite his tongue. Yeah, there was other there was other Punk commentary on this match too, like how Cabana was backstage playing basketball with Michael Jordan right now. Uh, <laughs> definitely enjoyed that. Um, there were a couple of cool moves too, like um, Credible tried to power bomb Delirious out of the corner. And he brings him down on Masada's knee, which I thought, you know, like where you pull the guy out of the corner to powerbomb it, but it goes right down on Masada's knee. I thought that was pretty cool. Honestly, I think the Magic Carpet Ride is a cool move, too. It might be like, I don't know, it might be problematic. <laughs> but So for those who haven't seen it, the Magic Carpet Ride is basically just Daivari doing a splash while he's holding from the top rope while he's holding holding like a little prayer rug in front of him. And, you know, some people would say that's racist and definitely i i think we can all agree whether you think that's crossing a line or not it's probably not for a, a three white men to say but no, i no. will i i will say that it's it, it's just like about the wild and crazy career of sean Daivari, where it's not even probably in the top three of like most <laughs> controversial things he's gimmicks he's been given in wrestling so it's also possible with the magic carpet ride that he established that himself i don't yeah. know that for sure but that makes it slightly less bad i think um, if it, if it's true, um, but yeah, I, yeah, for, I, I didn't mean to say this isn't like a Ring of Honor established gimmick. I think this was something he was probably yeah, he was doing, doing it. He was doing it all over. The yeah, yeah. Time. So like we, we, so- we, when I saw he was coming out, I was like, oh, this is great, you know, because I was like to my friends, I was like, oh, if you guys haven't seen this guy yet, this guy is very entertaining, and very enjoyable, and I think also like uh, what I liked about him was you know he was just full of fire and passion like even watching him and delirious together a makeshift tag team nonetheless like they i think they gelled pretty well together like the one thing the one thing that really got me during the show and the one thing that i was thinking about while watching this match is the fact that multiple times during the show chris love on commentary was like this could be the end for them in ring of honor if they lose their spot like way too much spot talk during the course of this show from someone who ended up being the booker of ring of honor but at the same time I think the fact that Gabe would actually watch the shows afterwards and comment on it was fantastic for any booker to do because the fact is it's it's a way that actually forces you to watch your show again as opposed to forgetting about the show 10 minutes after it happens. Now, that's true. I think most of the time if you're running a show, I mean, you can speak better than I can about this. You can't possibly see all of it because you're doing Not too much. Yeah. If, if I see if I see 38%, and I've, I've scientifically proven this, if I see 38% of the show, I might not be doing my job properly. You know, like, right. there'll usually be the things that I know that I'll want to see that I take care of, that, like, I'll be like, okay, I have to be here at this time as it's going on, because this is something that I pitched, or something that I know is going to be a big angle for us. But, I mean, a lot of times, it's like, I think, I think a few shows ago, I saw five minutes of the show totally, you know, and I watched the rest of it on the High Spots uh, <laughs> streaming app, and of course, the High Spots Video Network, the best nine ninety nine in the business, kids. <laughs> That's right. Until, until we start charging nine ninety nine, in which case we'll be the best nine ninety nine in the business. Oh, but no, for no, now, no, for now, saying, yeah. No. But uh, yeah, I, I think that's a great point too. Like, I think probably every indie promoter should watch the show a second time not just because you probably miss a lot watching it live like you guys just mentioned but also because obviously it's a completely different experience for the home viewer than the person that's watching it backstage live at the time like it's a different energy you're seeing different things and you know 
a, a company like or most indies these days, they're running on a model of you know it's partly us selling it as it as a live event, and it's partly us selling it as you know an i pay per view or a streaming thing or a DVD or whatever. So you kind of have to you, you should probably be aware of how it plays to in both formats. But um, the match itself, I yeah, I, there's I don't have a ton to say. I thought it was. Middle of the road, perfectly fine, like filler undercard thing, and it, it was funny that Daivari, you know, he uh, he didn't do much in the first few minutes. Like he didn't get tag in, and even Punk's like Daivari hasn't even been in the match, and then he basically gets just because of the carpet spot. It's probably one of the most over spots on the show, so you can see like the appeal of those kind of spots if you can come up with one of those where it's like you don't have to do a ton like in a match. If you just have one really memorable difference by, you can kind of steal the match from everybody else. And, uh, one last thing I thought the other little funny moment on commentary was Gabe at one point said, uh, he had, he had to explain that Ricky Steamboat isn't going to be here on the show tonight because he had a prior engagement with his son. And punk just says, is he breastfeeding his kid? And for some reason that was so random. That like broke me up laughing when I heard it. Like, and I think that's another moment where Gabe's like kind of biting his tongue, like Jesus Christ, punk. But yeah, that that was uh, funny. And uh, the opposite of breastfeeding your child might be the next match. <laughs> I, I will. Uh, I, I will just <laughs> before before you hit on that awesome joke that you just made. Um, I think in modern wrestling, I uh, I feel like. Ricky Steamboat would come back with a promo where he was like fake breastfeeding his son because I feel like that's just what the public would demand nowadays. Just that that sort of humor <laughs> while breathing fire, though. Yes, while doing doing the <laughs> breastfeeding while breathing fire both at the same time and just get into deep trouble. So wow, I can't believe we stopped a, a delightful segue because that was might have been one of my favorite segues ever, right there, guys. So congratulations as we're about to talk to another pure, uh, another uh, non-pure wrestling match uh, with the of course Chad Collier and John Walters. Yes. Trevor, I, I'm Trevor. I'm sorry, but I, I had to stop you because i i can't have you insulting my buddies chad collier and john walters like that honestly chad collier defeating john walters via pinfall in 12 minutes 38 seconds using a roll-up was not a bad match in fact matt i dare say it was a noticeable improvement on their previous match at the last stand which i thought was kind of blah i i think um it's still the same blend of submission work with bigger moves and a few hard chops thrown in. It's a bit of a grab bag of what these guys can do, but I feel like the pace was a bit better. The moves were a bit more entertaining this time. I feel like this time the match didn't have the three rope break rule so that they didn't have that extra complication, which I think benefited the match a little bit, but mostly I, my lasting impression was just, this match, these two kind of generic, competent, very mechanically sound, well-rounded, like muscly, charismaless men were the exact opposite of the very intimate feeling you get of a mother's love bonding with her child for the first time as she feeds her from a fluid made by her body. So that was my lasting impression. Matt, what m definitive moment of a child's development would you compare this match to? Um... Mm. I guess this would be sort of like my bar mitzvah. No, I don't know. <laughs> I, um, it was uh, no. I thought it was a good match, though. I um, I forgot it was a rematch until Punk mentioned it on commentary because that match was so memorable the first time it happened. We only watched it what like two months ago. Um, yeah. But um, I um, but first of all, 
has anyone ever mentioned that John Walters kind of reminds him of John Hamm? Uh, I think they have a very similar like facial and hair structure. Um, and I know that's an extremely big compliment to John Walters, but it uh, did, does anyone or John Hamm? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Did, does, has anyone noticed this besides me? No, um, John Hamm. I would say is more likable, but. Uh... No offense, John Walters, but... Um, Before John Walters started doing the racist gimmick, I liked him just fine. Well, we know how I feel about racism after the listening <laughs> podcast. So, uh, yeah, I, I can see he, he, he has that... He's, 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 he's a handsome fellow as well. So, you know, uh, I, I could see that. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, well, just wanted to make sure I wasn't crazy. I thought this was a good match, though. I thought Collier in particular looked really good. I thought his moves, like, all looked great. Um, I also um, thought, you know, Walters, I thought his big moves were good. I liked the, the lung blower while he was, like, straight-jacketing Collier's arms. Um, I also continued to enjoy uh, Gabe ignoring Punk while Punk said ridiculous things like, Oprah thinks Matt Stryker will win the title. Um <laughs> Well, she was backstage. I was glad that Punk was telling us about this because I, I I was there and I didn't know Oprah was there. I, I, I'm wondering what other Chicago land celebrities were there. Maybe Bozo the Clown was there. Then we didn't know about that. Uh, Al Plamonti of the Al Plamonti car dealerships. Like I, I would just, it was good for Punk to lay in us know. Hey, that definitely a a purist in the in the form of broadcast journalism. Well, if Mike Ditka was there, that's the what we oh, all. Oh, that would have yeah. been even better. I bet he was. I bet him and Oprah were were, were making out or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's probably what happened at this particular Ring, Ring of Honor show in two thousand and four. Uh, making f- out over some deep dish pizza, you know, like while eating a hot dog together, like Lady in the Tramp, a Chicago style hot dog, like a Lady in the Tramp style. I think that's what this show is most remembered for. Um, um, if only TMZ was around at the time, we would have known all about it. I guess TMZ was around in 2004, now that I think about it. Anyway, I don't know. Um, but I, I like that they had a chop exchange that Collier was clearly so much better on. Um, and I like that Collier won. I thought that was pretty cool. I also uh, noticed that even though there wasn't a top five last night, um, there was one on this show, and uh, the top five was Matt Stryker, of course, at number one. Brian Daniels hit at number two, Homicide, Whitmer, and John Walters. So this John Walters was not one part of the top five, but I imagine after Collier defeated him, he was no longer. But yeah, I thought Collier, more than anyone else, made this a good match. I thought that um, Walters was a little bit sloppy, but he worked, he worked really hard. And um, I also enjoyed... Um, uh, Punk making a Rodney Dangerfield reference when he referred to the referee as referee Vinny Boombots. So that was another <laughs> highlight of this match. There was was also, he backstage too? <laughs> right next to Abe Froman, the oh, sausage king of Chicago? Chicago? <laughs> um, I've exhausted my Chicago references now between what you guys have already said, so that was my last one, uh, other than just uh, start randomly referencing like Portillo's or things, but uh, uh, the, the other thing, before I throw it to you, uh, Dr. Keith, Matt, or, or Keith for this matter, do either of you know if this has any real knowledge to it, or is this just completely random and vaguely racist? Because at one point on commentary, Punk goes, oh yeah, when they talk about the second anniversary show where uh, Punk faced John Walters in a f- pretty good match, uh, Punk mentions that show, he goes, oh yeah, my wallet got stolen on that show. And then he just asks out of nowhere, were the SAT on that show? I think I think it was vaguely racist. I also think that Punk has made similar comments about the SAT before on commentary. 
Yeah, it's always funny trying to decipher like what are just good natured jokes and what's like a uh, what's a rip because I know like listening to the voices of wrestling guys, uh, Joe Lance has made it his mission to try and figure out like does Rocky Romero really hate Bushi because he seems to call him down on commentary in New Japan every time he gets a chance to. And so when you watch commentary like this from a wrestler, it's always interesting to see like. Is there a wrestler they seem to kind of favor? Is there someone they seem to have a bit of a gr- axe to grind with? Because, yeah, there are a couple SAT snipes from Punk. Well, if you but. so if he was trying to be Jesse Ventura on commentary, one of the things that Jesse definitely did was make kind of racist comments fairly <laughs> often back in the Chico 80s. Chico Santana? Chico like, Santana, he had that hot Latin temper, he used to say. <laughs> like, all kinds of like things that would sound like insane now. Burrito? I mean, like, they, yeah. they, definitely when it came to Tito Santana, and this is pre-Matador days, guys. Like, there definitely seemed to be an air of racism, but it seemed to be like the good-natured racism. Oh, no. As opposed to the, the, and of course I could tell this because I'm a racism a- expert now. <laughs> but like you know, like it's 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 yeah. I mean, but I, maybe it could be something though where maybe and I, I, I don't want to presume here, you know, but it's something where potentially maybe someone within the SATs, and I'm I'm not suggesting anything here at all, guys, but I'm just sitting there, maybe there was an incident with the SATs, and they were no longer back because of maybe something they did backstage during the show. I don't know. It, it, it could be something like that, you know? Or it yeah, could not- be because of the, what happened during that riot, and Gabe started screaming. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the idea of, like, like Punk could have also justified it, like, yeah, it's racist, but I'm being a heel. You know, we could, right. like that. That sort of could be how he thought of the justifying it. I'm not saying CM Punk is racist. I don't. I don't think that. I um, think that's what the headline of this is going to be. <laughs> the SATs stole a wallet backstage. I think those are the big headlines. And more, most importantly, Doctor Keith is not racist. That's so. right. He's, he's 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 the fighter against racist. Yes. Um, but no, but there was. Do you remember there was like a scramble match where Punk was like, "Oh man, this match is ridiculous." You got these these punk kid ravers. You got these these. Uh, these you know these white trash brawlers Mexicans and Gabe is like wait wait why are you saying Mexicans what does that have to do and Punk was like where are they I mean aren't they Mexican you know just so there was that whole air of it too so you know I think Punk's shtick as a heel on commentary at the time was probably things that would not fly in 2019. And going to what you said earlier, I think he definitely if you listen to Punk's early commentary of this era, in Ring of Honor at least, he was definitely, like you were saying, trying to be like 80s Jesse Ventura. Like that is clearly his biggest influence, I think, on commentary at this point. So he's yeah, trying to be kind of trying to push some buttons. I mean, not necessarily that justifies things if you think that's like a, a racist stereotype, but I think he's definitely doing it as part of a as as part of a homage to somebody rather than like probably i don't think that's punk's deeply held belief probably so yeah i don't i mean based on everything else other than his heel commentary i don't i don't think there's much evidence that yeah that he believes yeah. anything like that. uh keith uh dig us out of this and please talk I, I don't about know how to I'm, about I'm being quiet and right now and it's not disassociating myself from the program uh enjoyable match like i i had not seen this match in many 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 moons and i i, I liked it a lot i mean it was something where they didn't necessarily guys like this didn't necessarily have the you know popularity of a samoa joe or brian danielson but they definitely 
we're all good hands. And definitely, I think the pure wrestling championship sort of brought up that these guys could definitely go. And I, I enjoyed this match a whole lot. You know, it, it sort of made me uh, almost wax nostalgic for the metal master Chad Collier and his awful gear. Uh, it also made, reminded me that for a long time, and I was a huge Ring of Honor fan, I could not tell the difference between Matt Stryker and uh, John Walters apart. So I am very, very glad that that now now that I'm a little bit older, a whole lot more wiser, I could tell the two apart pretty easily. We review we review every one of these shows, and I honestly can't tell them apart. It's currently like right now I can't because it's not like they have anything. It's not like these guys are bad professional wrestlers. Like please, please, anyone that thinks that we're saying that it's that's not what we're saying. It's just that they aren't necessarily as fluid as the other guys are. They, 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 they don't do much to make themselves stand out outside of what they do inside the ring, which, you know, compared to certain other guys, is not enough. They, like, they don't have a hook. Like, you know, they don't have a character that's really colorful or, or memorable. They don't, you know, aren't known for great promos, although Chad Collier does cut a heck of something. Later. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Collier, uh, Collier, I think, is different. Collier, yeah. I th- to me, stands out a little bit more. Yeah, I think Chad Collier, of Stryker, Walters, and, and Collier, I would take, if you had to tell me which one of these people you have to watch just their work from, Collier every day, I think he was underrated, and probably because he was not a regular full-time guy, he never really got his due in Ring of Honor, because he couldn't be there for most shows, but... What was Collier doing most of the time during this era? Like, where was his, where was most of his work being done? If he was uh, at R- way, right? Yeah, and wasn't he also like, getting some Japan work as well, I think? I think he um, did some Mikonoshu Pro Tours as well during that yeah. time. But I, I know later in this 2004 year, he has a, a match with Rocky Romero, and I don't know how it holds up, but I remember at the time that being like considered to be a real hidden gem for the entire year where people would rave about, like, this match is something that isn't going to get talked about because it's not, like, on paper a huge name value match, but, like, Chad Collier, Rocky Romero... I remember a lot of people like loving that match. So, um, yeah, I, I thought the match. Yeah, I already said what I thought about the match. Uh, Matt, one last thing from this match. I think this is the highlight of the match. Is on commentary. Uh, Punk is fascinated by the back of Chad Collier's tights during this match, which appear to be a horse with a boxing glove. It, it's kind of hard to make out what it is. Um, he references it multiple times and then asks if that's BJ Whitmer on uh, his tights, which leads Gabe to say something to the effect of, "Don't look at me. I haven't called him that in three months." So I just love that. Uh, They've actually now turned that into a running joke that Gabe for a while couldn't stop calling BJ Whitmer a horse. And now Gabe is like aware of it being like, look, I've stopped that. Like yeah. he's getting like he's getting like he's on like calling BJ Whitmer a horse anonymous, where he's getting like monthly chips of being like, How long have I been off the be calling BJ Whitmer a horse train? Or wagon, I guess. And um, apparently it's uh, three months for Gabe, so let's everybody give him a round of applause. And that's also one of the most inside baseball things I believe Ring of Honor has ever done up to this point is to make a reference without really saying it to like a thing that used to happen a few months ago during undercard BJ Whitmer matches. So like, because otherwise you have no idea what the hell they're talking about. But 
I appreciate it. So thank you in 2019. I appreciated it. Uh, something else I also appreciate was the next match, a four-corner match. Nigel McGuinness defeated Austin Aries, Jimmy Rave, and Rocky Romero in 1641 when he submitted Rave with some kind of Camara-type submission thing that it seemed like he was trying to make a finisher at this point, but didn't really stick, I don't think. Matt... Pretty. This is a pretty big match for me in terms that like we see a lot of these four ways where some of the guys didn't really make it. All of these guys make it to one degree or another. It's it's kind of an interesting. Where are they now? Match to watch. What what do you think of it as as just a wrestling match? Well, I mean, yeah, it, this is a historic match for sure. Um, for one thing, this is Aries' debut, like his like real like ROH debut. He'd been on Do or Die, but I don't really count that because it wasn't part of their D- DVD pantheon. It wasn't on a main show. This was his debut, and obviously he would very, very quickly become one of the biggest legends of ROH early history. Um, this isn't obviously Nigel McGuinness's first debut, I mean first match, but it is his first like big match where he gets kind of to spotlight and really show what he can do. Um, Ditto, um, you know, Rocky Romero's first, you know, one of his first matches. Um, and Rave, you know, was kind of in a transition. I think he stood out the least, but I think that's probably why they repackaged him. But the crowd is really into this. Um, I thought it was, I mean, it wasn't, didn't go on forever, but I thought it was like borderline a great match. Um, just for what they were trying to do, which is well, they were not trying to have some epic dramatic match. But for what they were going to accomplish, they all looked Really, really good. Um, Nigel got, for the first time, to do his whole, like, weird, like, British reversal thing where he goes underneath Rave's legs and, like, does all this stuff. And the crowd just went insane for it. At one point, Punk says when he's watching um, Aries versus Romero, he's like, I'm, like, seeing a young AJ Styles versus a young low-key. And, you know, I don't know if it's exactly a one-to-one correlation, but I thought that the comparison was pretty apt. Um, Romero- That's actually Gabe that says that. Oh, and sorry. Punk, Punk, Punk is like, like you shouldn't make these comparisons. And then Gabe says, you're right. This is, we're actually seeing the first Austin Aries and the first, you know, Rocky Romero. But yeah, it is interesting that Gabe was trying to, I think, trying to basically say, I think Gabe had an incentive to try and push these guys as the replacements to two big names he had just that just parted ways with the company. But also it's not like, like, like they were kind of up to the task. Um, yeah. Like they, like they, like the, the moves were, were really good. Um, like, and it's funny cause like they were doing moves that, you know, I've seen a million times now, but they were brand new in ROH in 2004. So I feel like of all the matches in reborn weekend, this was the first match where it's like, okay, wow, this is a new era in ROH. Like these guys are not only having a match, but they're getting over. Um, I thought, you know, just there were some really great near falls down the stretch. I thought Aries looked great. He didn't show everything he could do by a long shot in this match, but it was just the right amount for a debut. I thought Nigel and Romero were the two real stars of the match. And um, Nigel got a big win with his... So that, that arm hole that he put on Stryker uh, the previous night, and it was like Stryker got out of it in a second. He actually got Rave to tap to it. And just, I thought it was... the one of the best four ways they've done in a long time. I mean, that the, the world title one at the second anniversary, I liked a lot too. But other than that, I thought this was the best one they've had probably since death before dishonor. Honestly, like I, I really, really liked it. I thought it was a perfect way to feature these, these four guys. 
I thought this was really good as well. I maybe liked it. Uh, I didn't quite, I wouldn't quite put it as right close to great, but I, I thought it was really good. And I agree with you. This is probably one of the best four ways they've done since like exactly your time period. I, I And I think it's weird because like structurally, it still has all the four-way tropes. It, it still worked like a regular four-way where they pair off and then lots of one-on-one stuff. And then the final five minutes is just everyone coming in and out. And also it, it's, it's the standard four-way, but it's just the median talent level is so high here. There's no weak links. And there is just something, this is the first of a couple matches on this show where it's kind of in some ways the same format as a lot of these multi-man matches they've done before. But the difference is there's just this energy of knowing that you're seeing a bunch of guys that are going to make it. And every and, and it's like the crowd knows it too. Like there's this energy of... Oh man, we're seeing the next. We're seeing the next stars right now, and like we're in on saying that everyone else is going to figure out when they get the DVDs in a few months. So like, like you said with that Nigel stuff, he gets a standing ovation for doing like selling that. What he would do like in every match coming up soon, where pet fans are just getting their minds blown of like, wow, we're we're really like excited to like just discover this, and lots of good action. I thought this was a bit stiffer than some four ways in particular, Rocky Romero. There's a, a few more submissions in this than a lot of four ways. And a lot of times the submissions, you, you see why people normally don't do submissions in four ways, because almost every time someone, whoever's applying the submission just gets the, the shit kicked out of them by like Rocky Romero or somebody. And in particular, uh, Jimmy Rave takes a kick from Rocky Romero. It looked right in his face. And then later on, his mouth is all busted open. It did not look like a good night for Jimmy Rave. And honestly, he is the one guy, even though I thought everyone did well in this match, he's the one guy I think he always gets lost in the shuffle in these kinds of multi-man matches because his offense just isn't quite as flashy. That isn't really his hook as a wrestler. So I felt a little bad for him that he keeps getting stuck in scrambles and four ways where I feel like he gets overshadowed. But everyone did well here. And yeah, just it's fun to see like finally the undercard that we were kind of bemoaning that in 2000, late 2003, early 2004, just the undercards were kind of bland. Like the help has finally arrived. It feels like, and uh, Keith, what do you think about the match? And like, was this your first experience to seeing some of these guys or as someone that had been in the Chicago scene? Like, did you have a, a lot of experience seeing guys like Aries before? We, we, I saw Aries maybe one or two shows before, but not by much. But I was, you know, told by a bunch of people what his pedigree was for the fact he trained by, uh, was trained by Eddie Sharkey and such. So I was looking forward to him. But I, I, I really like this match. Like, I think all four guys had a really good chemistry. I mean, we know Nigel and Rave had worked each other multiple times. So I was excited to see them work. And I think, I think just in general, I think Rocky Romero has always been just an incredible ring wrestler and this was a whole lot of fun and i i like i like four ways when they're guys that are up and coming as opposed to four ways towards the top where there's a championship involved where i think each guy had a wonderful time to shine during the course of this match and it is something where it could have ended a million different ways but then nigel winning in the end was a pretty good way to finish up the match so yeah real real solid match lots of great stuff by everyone in the course of this match so just a, a really solid way. And I really like the four way concept for this match. And I also liked, uh, 
uh, for, this is another punk. I thought this was Punk and Gabe's best night together on commentary. I thought they actually did get over some of the stories in the matches. I thought Punk toned down kind of his ranting on just his storylines and focused a bit more on the matches. And I thought Gabe and Punk's chemistry, you can just see it's developing. And, um, uh, Punk keeps coming up with these lines that crack me up, just random references. I love that at one point during this match, he says, Ricky Reyes looks like Nosferatu, he says, just out of nowhere. And well, he's not wrong, though. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. It's he doesn't look at, look at Ricky Reyes now. I mean, the guy doesn't age at all. Yeah, I mean, in that sense, it's a compliment. Mm. It's, it's like saying he's ageless, but I know I, if I someone said that about me, I wouldn't appreciate it, but it's one of those weird put-downs where you go, hey, that's mean, and before you finish saying that to yourself, you're like, it's kind of true, though. Like, he also, does kind of look like Nosferatu. Also, I am pretty positive that Spanky said that about Loki on one promo once in the past. Or someone did. Yeah. Someone definitely said that about Loki on an ROH DVD in the past. I remember talking about it. And, uh, you know, uh, that's, they're not wrong either. So Loki is Nosferatu trained for a marathon. Uh, Ray, Ricky Reyes is, is uh, Nosferatu when he really gets into, like hemp-based protein powders and really bulking up so <laughs> along with his blood of course yeah i mean but, I, yeah, uh, a lot of protein in blood right <laughs> yeah there were lots of iron pumping iron is when they suck the blood from a pumping blood vessel uh after that we also uh, the other thing i liked was um we hear Ricky Reyes talking to Rocky about losing the match, and you can hear Rocky Reyes saying something like, I don't know, he twisted his arm all goofy and shit, like about <laughs> Nigel's finisher. Like, he's just like, I love that's how he describes, like, how he, like, I don't know what the hell he guy did. And See, so R- R- Rocky was already showing what he could have done on the mic, even though he was too nervous to actually do it on the promo that he cut the night before. Very yeah, inspired I- work right there. And that brings us to Homicide defeating Brian Danielson in 29 minutes, 24 seconds. I, I might be off a, bit, a minute on that. There are, different sites had uh, different timings for this show. And you honestly, didn't time I, it while you watched it? No, I was not good at Green Lantern fan. I, I, I try and do the work for the fans of this show, but I don't do that much work. And I do, I'm not buying a wristwatch with a stopwatch. and I'm not breaking Whoa. out my phone. Did you happen to look at Derek Bergen from the Tortures Review? Because he was sitting next to me during it, and I think I was giving him official match times. Was, was, no, I did not. Was, he the, was get... he the one who uh, did the uh, You Are Racist chant? Uh, no, no, no. no that, that's that? another guy. How, I, 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 actually, I don't want to ask you this because it's probably, you, I don't want to put you in a difficult position, but I was going to ask you, how did Derek Bergen smell? He smelled, he all, Derek always smelled delightful. <laughs> okay. Um, Matt... Was this, in terms of smell, was this match a bed of roses or a spoil, a real rotten egg of a match or somewhere in between? I was going to say, there's a lot of space in between those two. But uh, (laughs) it was closer to a bed of roses, I would say, which might be the first time anyone's ever described this match as a bed of roses. But um, I thought it was great. I thought this was a really good match. There were things I didn't completely like about it. Like, I'll, I'll get to the things that I thought were negative first. And the big negative to me, so this is Homicide's big heel turn weekend, um, but I think Gabe just goes a little over the top with it. Like, he talks about how Homicide's gone insane, he's crazy, and he's, he's scary, I'm getting nervous right now with these guys. And basically, Homicide is just, like, jawing with the crowd, and at one point he does throw a ring bell toward the crowd, um, that's true, but for most of the match he's just, like, wrestling 
And at different points, you know, he'll, like, use a chair on Danielson's neck. He'll use a ring bell on Danielson's neck. Um, and, um, you know, but, and the crowd, the referee, I don't understand why the referee doesn't enforce that. I'm, I'm still very confused by what the rules in Ring of Honor are. Because, like, there are certain matches where you could say, like, oh, the referee doesn't want to disqualify them in this important title match. But as far as I could tell, this is just, like, a match. Uh, not even a grudge match, so I don't know why the referee would let that go. Uh, but the, ra- the the commentators didn't even make a big deal out of that. What they made a big deal out of was the finish, where Homicide low-blowed Danielson and then gave him the lariat to win. And they were like, oh, I don't know what's gotten into Homicide. And I think you and I can both agree, having watched all this, Homicide did not seem that different than he has seemed on seen on, seemed on many other shows in the past. Keep in mind, this is a guy who started a riot, <laughs> and, and also stabbed Steve Carino in the head for in the eye with yeah, a fork. Yeah, for accidentally kicking him in a tag team match, um, and then super kicking him. Um, so, like, that's the homicide. So the and and the point. And I think what Gabe was trying to say was that homicide went berserk the previous night. But the problem is, other than the fireball, all of that happened off camera. We didn't see the part of homicide being scary. So trying to push homicide is scary, like. Do you think Homicide in his performance came off as scary on the show at any point? Um, I, I think his crowd interactions, Homicide does come off as a guy. That, I mean, we have a guy that was there, so he's probably the best guy to ask. But I, Dr. Keith, I believe he threw the ring bell at like the barricade at the fans in your section. Were you ever intimidated by Homicide? Because he does have that air of a guy that if someone said the wrong... I believe he told someone in the audience that, quote, he would punch their mother's pussy tonight. So, like... I I believe he was talking to my mom, who's probably listening <laughs> to this podcast right now, wondering why Keith's friend D is talking with a, such a foul mouth and needing some lava soap. I believe he was talking to those fans that, you know, basically were helping me fight racism but I believe they were also chanting at him homicide yeah. so so they weren't a completely woke yet no they, no 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 this was 2004 racism. they were fighting racism but they they were I but it was something where I, I think that they were okay with any sort of gay lesbian bisexual tendencies but they just knew that it would get under the skin of the person who was being said at I so you know, yeah, very, very, very woke person. So, no, I, I mean, Homicide was a, you're, you're absolutely right. I, as watching this, I mean, I know that I wouldn't want Homicide to have me test a wrist lock because I know he would stiff me in the head. But, like, you know, with him throwing throwing the bell, there was definitely sort of an air of unpredictability with Homicide. I wouldn't necessarily say scariness. I, 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 I didn't necessarily have that Bubba Ray Dudley dragging me back and telling me to be a fan uh, scaredy level <laughs> that I usually have with sometimes with wrestlers. But, uh, you know, you know, here's, here's a guy that did a fireball the night before. And, you know, it's something where, you know, they mentioned the fireball at least 78 times on this because, of course, uh, right now, by the way, Samoa Joe's still not at the building. So, and we'll get more to that any minute now. And you're wondering, Keith, why are you going back to that joke? Because it was referenced so many times on this show, so many times on the show. But uh, I remember watching when I was watching the show live, I was very surprised by the finish, you know, but I, I think it also sort of, you needed to sort of build up homicide a little bit more, uh, you know, and knowing that he was going to get another shot at Joe, I think on the next Midwest 
swing. So, like, I, I, I liked what they did there. And I thought that him and Brian actually had a pretty decent wrestling match with each other. You know, even at parts where they would do wrist locks, but not necessarily forearm each other in the ear. Yeah, I thought I thought they had a hell of a wrestling match. Like I, um, yeah, it was long, and it's hard to you know, especially when you're in the mid card to have a match that long, maintain um, interest. But they um, they kind of broke it into segments. You know, Danielson was out wrestling Homicide early, and eventually Homicide took over. But what then, like the the final segment of the match was after Homicide. Um, accidentally chopped the uh, the guardrail, and Danielson just went to work on his hand. And every single move that he did, whether it was arm related or anything, he would also incorporate the hand into the hold. And I thought that was just so awesome. At one point, I guess you know, Gabe even tried to make it seem like Homicide's hand was literally swollen. I don't know if it was or it wasn't, or if he just kind of has a, a meaty hand. But <laughs> that was what I, I like that because they yeah. literally sat there and they were talking about a part where Homicide was putting him in a submission hold, and the, the camera shot where the ref was right over the hands, and then they switched the camera shot very quickly where you could actually see that. Oh yeah, it does definitely look like Homicide is having a bigger hand. But then I was thinking maybe that's something that. Gabe Gabe just noticed. It was like, hmm, you know, Homicide's right hand is a lot bigger than his other hand. Yeah. Don't say that anything on commentary. We'll, we'll put that in the match. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, and I like that too. He was, so he had an STF on, but he couldn't like clasp the hands. He was holding right. his wrist. And I thought that was, that was, uh, you know, an awesome way to, um, to uh, kind of uh, do something a little different with mm-hmm. the, uh, with, with the, the limb work, I guess. Um, at one point, so the, the previous night, there was a yes chant directed at Danielson. On this night, there was a no chant as Homicide worked on Danielson's neck. So it was like, man, they just, they, they did it all in 2004. Um, little did we know that any of that meant anything, but they really, had, everything had already been done before. It's like, it's like. It was a, literally a, a prophecy. Yeah. Because they were no longer there except for BJ Whitmer. <laughs> this, this this was a great also a, a, a there was a, speaking of chance there was a great chant here that basically i think it showed you what a transition point wrestling was in at this or indie wrestling was because right as the bell rings a small group of fans starts chanting holy shit which would become very <laughs> commonplace you know as almost like a sign of respect like we're chanting holy shit and this match is even happening now nowadays wrestlers would just be like thank you and start to wrestle the match brian looks at them like what the fuck are you doing and the rest of the crowd laughs at them like like what are you geeks doing chanting holy shit before that we've even done a move but like that shows you we we're like on this weird borderline in mid 2004 uh where that was starting to be things like this were starting to become a thing yeah and it's really it's it's really interesting because we're we're still not quite in like the total chant culture yet but like i even noticed on this show there's you know more streamers there's a bit more chanting like it's starting to shift to more to what wrestling crowds are today where some would say for better some would say for worse it's probably a mixed bag in my opinion but i think this is a show it's kind of like that middle step maybe maybe it all started in the midwest and that's and then it spread everywhere else and this show was ground zero for the modern wrestling indie crowd but as for the match, um, this is a match that's pretty divisive online. Some people really don't like it, and some people love it. Well, I have not, I thought, so I'm very curious, because I, mean, I have not read the, uh, the negative contingent on this match, so I'm curious. 
the are see I thought this was great. I would say like four stars, which to me is great. I mean, it's not like I mean you I don't think it's a match I would put in probably will put in my top 5 at the end of the year, but I thought it was great. But the and, and by the, and for the record, you still have the five star scale, right? 5 is the yes. highest. Yes. Yeah, I'm not the Dave Meltzer where now four stars is like, "Oh, that was okay." But um this was uh, the, the the complaint I see in the people that did not like this match is that it was too long. And I'll I'll say the first ten minutes, like they don't really start telling the story of this match, which is Danielson works over the hand, homicide works over the neck, until about ten minutes in. And the first ten minutes is all mat work, and you you could cut that out, and I wouldn't have missed it. But at the same time. The mat work is, is enjoyable to watch. It's not like it's bad. So, like, t- if you could edit out the 10 minutes, but it's not like you have to get through 10 boring minutes to 20 good minutes. It's like you have to get to 10 minutes of, of enjoyable stuff to get to, like, a 20 minutes of story. But I thought, like, the 20 minutes, it's they tell a really good story. You guys covered it. But... Um, I love. There's so many little touches, like you mentioned with the uh, where Homicide does the STF, but he has to grab. He can't clasp his hands together, so he has to grab the forearm with his good hand. Or I love that when Homicide attacks uh, Danielson on the outside, and he hits him, you know, with a chair, and he hits him with the ring bell. But both times he doesn't hit them with anything but in the neck with those weapons. Like even when he grabs a weapon, he's like, I'm not just going to hit you in the head or the back. I'm hitting you in the neck with this chair. I'm hitting you, you know, in the neck with this ring bell. And when he hurts his hand, it's because he's trying to punch Danielson, you know, against the metal sheet metal barricade. And he hits his hand because Danielson moves. And then Danielson grabs the ring bell and hits him in the hand with it. So it's like a little payback. So there's all sorts of cool little touches like that. Like, uh, Danielson does a superplex, but he can't make a cover because he's hurt his own neck doing it. Or he tries the cattle mutilation, but he can't hold on to it and keep the bridge because his neck is too hurt. So if you love just like a simple story well told, this is another one of those matches where there's a lot of really good attention to detail. It's not a match where you're going to get, you know, like 10 minutes of 2.9 near, you know, near fall kickouts and every move the two guys can think about. But it's just a really well told story. And I think it shows the versatility of Homicide yet again, that a guy that can do like the crazy spot fest with Trent Acid or the crazy weapons brawl with Steve Carino can also just take it to the mat with one of the best technical wrestlers of his generation and completely keep up with him. Like Homicide is just so, we've talked about this time and time again, he is so goddamn versatile. He's just so mm-hmm. good at everything. And Matt, going to what you said, um, earlier i i do agree that it's hard for homicide to differentiate that like well he's supposed to be a heel now compared to before where he was like a tweener anti-hero where he he does the mule kick to danielson's nuts and then hits the clothesline for the win he's done that move before in matches and the reaction was always well that's our homicide you know just doing what it takes to win and now it's supposed to be like the worst thing ever and the only thing that's changed is that he's supposed to be a heel now and the, he does do some different things. Like at one point during this match, he bigs off on Danielson, which yeah. is a cowardly heel move that he probably wouldn't have done before. And he yeah. pantomimes that he and Brian should just go off and smoke some weed, which is like a hilarious thought. But, but also, uh, but also to me, like it shows that he doesn't know what kind of heel he wants to be yet, because like he begs off, and then like Dan- he doesn't like sucker Danielson in, right? Danielson like hits him, so it's like yeah. he's like he's almost like the the comical heel there, but he also is trying to be pushed as kind of scary. And the scary heel wouldn't like beg off and lose like that 
interaction. So I don't know. I think he's just still figuring it out, I guess. Or even at one point, Homicide does the thing where he goes for the Topecon helo, but he pulls up short and then says, fuck you, and flips off the crowd, which is a good heel move. But then later, he does the Topecon heel, and I thought Gabe on commentary actually did a great job where he says, this means Homicide's more desperate than he was earlier. I thought that was a nice way to frame it, whether that, that was Homicide's idea of like, hey... Yeah, he's willing to tease it and say fuck you before, but now that he's deep into this match and needs to try and win it and he doesn't know what it's going to take, now he can't just tease it. He has to actually do it. So, uh, yeah, I thought this was a great match, but again, divisive. So, fans at home, you have to watch for yourselves and decide. After the match, Danielson and Homicide shake hands. So, again, another weird kind of thing where he's supposed to be a dastardly heel, but Homicide and Danielson shake hands. Danielson even offers to shake the uninjured left hand like a nice guy. And uh, next we go backstage for, I believe, intermission. Prezak and Stryker are still talking in the same spot they were in earlier, so I like to believe they've been talking for 90 minutes. Uh, Jimmy Ray walks by and he wishes Stryker luck, as does Jack Evans. He calls Stryker his dog, which I thought was funny, the idea that Stryker would be anybody's dog. And Stryker um, really liked that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, he's like, yeah, I'm very proud dog. of that. Yeah, yeah, the most personality of Stryker showed here on the show was him being called uh, his dog. Uh, my dog by the one and only the man from the heavens uh jack evans i would watch a jack evans matt striker like buddy cop comedy definitely great and uh we get the countdown to the official promo prezak says he has a scoop for striker that samoa joe still hasn't shown up which isn't exactly a scoop but the second part is he goes there's talk of just giving the title to matt striker if joe no shows uh striker says he doesn't want to win the title that way and he thinks joe has too much pride to miss this match the promo is about to end when chad collier walks in with this great what i can only describe as weird chad collier energy he's like so he acts like he's just had six cups of coffee he uh talks about how striker shaved his mustache but kept the unibrow <laughs> and he calls samoa joe a pansy out of nowhere uh, Chad says he met with the Ring of Honor board of directors, and after Stryker wins, they say it's okay if he just hands the title over to Chad rather than lose to him for a fourth time in a row in Ring of Honor. Prezak looks at Chad the whole time like he's crazy in a real like googly-eyed way. Stryker just blows him off. Collier ends by yelling, I'll punch you in the face, you punk, at Prezak. And uh, Chad Collier has cut the promo of the night so far. Uh, do you guys agree or disagree? I agree. Are you- yeah, uh, it's best best of his career, really. I mean, when you think about it, it's kind of it is a fairly memorable promo. Like people still, I've heard people quote him on that. You know, just hand over the belt, just hand over the belt, and I'll punch you in the face. You, you know, just like yeah, this like this is why Collier. Another reason why Collier is the best of this triad of guys. He he has personality. He's willing to kind of put himself out there in terms of like seeming like a character. I mean, I'm, I assume he also just probably in real life is kind of a character. Um, and Stryker is just like, oh, all right. Like, obviously, the Stryker fancies himself as that character. Like, he's just the laid-back, chill guy. But guy's having his first world title match on this show. I don't know, man. And he, and he spends he's the not, whole night hanging out with Dave Prezak. And yeah, like, he's not really preparing for it at all. You think he'd be doing some stretches, or maybe they don't cut to the back and show, like, him and Dave Prezak, Midwest correspondent, doing Hindu squats together or anything <laughs> like that. Like, yeah, it was, it was something where, you know, again, the other thing I hated about this was the fact that you know, we had to hear the five, four, three, two, one gimmick, which is sad because that's half my gimmick as a producer at AAW. But like, it was just one of those things where it's just like, you know, like guys, 
we're doing a promo here. Get get out of here. We we appreciate the fact that you know Jimmy Rave. I appreciate for the fact you're coming up while I'm trying to do this promo with this person here, and where you realize that there's actually a camera potentially on right now. So if it wasn't, I I, I would probably be a lot more aggravated about it if it wasn't for the fact that Jack Evans made this promo without telling anyone that they got served. That, that, that's two promos he saved tonight already. Like Absolutely. They should just stick him in every single one. But next up, we, we come back from intermission, and we have Ricky Reyes defeating Danny Daniels via submission with a Sean Capture leg lock in 516. Dr. Keith, I'm going to throw it to you to start with because uh, you have a lot. You, you know a lot about one of these wrestlers in this match. That's right, Ricky Reyes. Tell us about Ricky, your long Me history. and Ricky are tight real tight so you know i I actually actually had dinner with rocky romero when i was in japan recently and we did not bring up ricky rays so i I, you must be talking about the other person the man i call boff danny daniels uh who is my boss currently at aaw uh yeah it was it was interesting to see boss so svelte so into his match of a few minutes and uh it definitely seemed like there were some problems during the course of this match and uh that's probably why they went to tell us Dave Prezak telling us that Samoa Joe has actually showed up in the ring, that the big mystery of the show is actually Samoa Joe is here with 15 minutes left before his match, which made me think, huh, wait a second. What do you mean 15 minutes? Is it something where they actually timing this professional wrestling contest to sit there and see how long it's going to be before he has to be in the ring? By the the way, by the way, it was real. It was really funny because Gabe's like, at this pace, these guys aren't going to go long. And the next match is a tag team scramble. And, uh, and those never go long. Like, like they tried to like act like there was like some clear logic to how he knew that that match was coming in 15 minutes. <laughs> they just knew that he didn't have 15 minutes to start off. Um, Matt, uh, what did you think uh, about this match? Is the, I know there's got to be a lot of thoughts about Yeah, well, like Dr. Keith said, it was a short short match and that's the thing that you notice the most about it um so they were like they were the it was just a total afterthought i thought reyes you know reyes looked good i will say that like he um not as good as romero and i think that would be a trend in their stay in roh obviously but um but he looked pretty good but you know when a match is the match that you cut away from what exactly um what exactly can you say about it? Except that it's the match that you cut away from. Um, there was a Danny chant, so I, you should tell him about that because that'll probably make you feel oh, good. I, I actually talked about it because I watched this, this this morning to prepare for it, and I actually asked Boss a number of questions, and Boss wasn't very happy with this match. He said it just he, he he wasn't he was very disappointed in his performance during this match, and part of the reason they went to a break was because he blew a spot pretty bad. And, and I was like, was it the baseball slide that you totally missed? And he. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it was even worse than that. So it's it's been it's a lovely sore subject. So I might be in the doghouse for a while. But hey, come out all out weekend to Chicago, <laughs> Illinois, to watch the Jim Line Memorial Tournament 2019. But uh, no, it was you know like everyone's allowed a bad night in the ring, and I guess this was my boss's. So you know it's it it was you know it was six minutes. It wasn't like six minutes of awfulness. I mean, I think they had some pretty good back and forth. I'd be curious to see like the ROH uncensored edition of this match just to see how bad boss messed up but uh you know I I I enjoyed it for for what it was but I I knew it wasn't I knew it wasn't much I mean it was they were coming right out of intermission they don't need to sit there and do a a thousand near falls so yeah I, I didn't think this was terrible I um 
but it, it, it's the classic Ring of Honor. New, I talked about this on a lot of shows, including the last one. It's that classic Ring of Honor five-minute match for new guys where you can tell Danny Daniels is trying to do as much of his unique offense as he can in five minutes because he doesn't have much time. And, and it's also one of those weird matches where because Reyes knows he's winning and he he lets Daniels have most of the match, which is kind of weird because in the sense of, Reyes is the one that's in line for a push as part of the Rottweilers. He's going to get the tag title soon. But instead, you know, he knows, well, I'm going to be coming back. Daniels might not if he doesn't impress. So he's going to get, I'm going to let him beat me up for most of the match. And then I'll just win pretty abruptly at the end, which is, again, that's the way these five minute tryout matches go a lot of the time. It's just the constraints of the format. And for those who haven't seen what Dr. Keith was talking about, Yes, there is a moment where Danny Daniels um, goes to do a baseball slide and he either misses it or or Reyes just doesn't see it and doesn't get in position for it. It, it looks it, like he... it, yeah, it, it, what it, what it was very, very odd because it seemed like Danny did OK on the baseball slide. But it's like Ricky Reyes and Romero, who were both there, just sort of just stood there as it was happening. So, you know, they definitely did not sell anything at all. I think I actually sold more of it while watching it downstairs on my luxurious couch than, than the guys did in the course of the match. Yeah. Gabe tries to cover by saying, Oh, Ray has just shook it off. But it was like, it was like, uh, I don't think there was much to shake off there, but yeah, I, I feel bad whenever. And I also felt bad for Danny Daniels in the sense of, um, Near the end of the match, he goes for the Rubik's Cube, which is his finisher, the electric chair driver, and he outright shouts, Rubik's Cube, and I think Punk and Gabe both don't know, one, what that move is, and two, that it's Danny Daniels' finisher. They're like, he's trying to go for some kind of, like, electric chair setup What's, thing what's and- going on here? Yeah, I, I got that as well, so, yeah, you know. So, like, I thought and it's something where where Danny was the champion of IWA Mid South for a while around this time, so it is something where Chicago was definitely familiar with Danny Daniels, who grew up close by Chicago Ridge. So you know, like it's something where you know it, it's you know bad nights happen to us all. I mean, I, I wouldn't know because I've always had great nights in the ring in, in my illustrious in ring career. <laughs> Uh, next, we go to the scramble tag team match. Jack Evans and Matt Seidel scored to the ring by Daisy Hayes, defeated Alex Shelley and Jimmy Jacobs, the Carnage crew of DeVito and Loke, and the Ring Crew Express in 1247 when Jack Evans pinned Jimmy Jacobs after he hit the 630 on him. Uh, Keith, since the last match wasn't a big match, I think you're going to get first crack at this match too. But first, I just want to read this PW Insider report and ask you if you have any memory of this. Uh, From a live report on PW Insider, someone wrote, DeVito threw an open chair to the ground, which bounced up and hit a guy in about the second row. Loken the ref immediately went over to check on the guy and told DeVito what happened, and DeVito went and checked on him too and gave him a hug. The guy was laughing and seemed to be fine. Did you do remember or witness a DeVito hug? (laughs) I I think you think all the things I would remember through these days would be hugs by any member of the Carnage crew. I mean, considering I remember HC Lokes band because I believe I have their demo somewhere in my archives. Uh, uh, I do not remember this off the top of my head, but wow, that sounds memorable and explains part of the match that I I watched. Uh, no, I don't. I don't remember that at all. It definitely wasn't in my section. We were too busy, still, you know, heavy breathing from homicide, throwing the ring bell towards our area. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, another, another very solid match. I mean, uh, Jack Evans and Matt Seidel together as a unit with Daisy Hayes. Uh, 
it's one of those units that you know what i don't need an explanation why this is happening because it sounds enjoyable you know it's uh you know it's very much like devari and delirious coming together what do these men have in common does maybe delirious have a magic carpet that maybe he could have used during the course of the match but uh you know i think jack and matt were fine here and i think it was uh i think this was a very good like roh during this time did very good at matches where they wanted to make everyone look good and like even the lovely ring crew express looked really good in the course of this match um matt what did you think of how's this rank as you know you and i are now when you do a show that covers every ring of honor show you become whether you want it or not experts on scramble matches how do you think this ranks in the pantheon of the scrambles well i think similarly one of the best in a while um it wasn't as good as the four-way or like super memorable i um i i, I wrote this down right at the beginning i wrote um, in some ways, this match feels very new. In other ways, Ring Crew Express versus the Carnage Crew. Um, so <laughs> this had this had the reborn and not element to it. Um, yeah, the, mentioning Evans and Seidel, Punk on commentary. I don't know if this is true, but he says they'd never met before. Um, which, <laughs> if if that is true, like wow, they gave him a big win. Actually, I think it's pretty cool that they gave Seidel a win when. If you're to believe things, they didn't even know he was going to be on this show. And I get that he was just there sort of to be the second to Jack Evans. Like, Evans was treated as the star of this match, right? Um, and Seidel was sort of just there. But just like Delirious, he got a chance to actually show what he could do uh, compared to um, compared to uh, the previous night. Um, you know, some punk commentary highlights. Uh, Shelly did a double abdominal stretch on the Ring Crew Express, and Punk goes, oh, yes. I've seen this in a movie one time, but it was two girls and a guy, um, which, uh, you know, I don't, I don't doubt that that's, that that's happened. Um, I thought Hus- Punk has watched pornography? Is that what you're doubting here? I am, or? I am, I am not doubting it. Um, CM Punk, a huge fan of apartment wrestling tapes confirmed, apparently. Is, John Kronos and Nicole Bass? Is, is, uh, abstaining from masturbation part of the straight edge lifestyle that's the it question it doesn't have to be it, basically there was a big thing in the uh, late 1990s called the new breed where basically they did everything else but they were able to have sex with their long-term girlfriends okay yeah sorry <laughs> no no that, that that's, that's useful information someone that actually actually knows his straight edge stuff like dr keith far cooler than either you or i matt i mean i know like i listen to fagazi that's about as far as i go with it but um, I I don't drink alcohol, so that and or so I guess that. But I've never claimed to be straight edge just because, like, I don't know. It feels like feels like there are rules that I don't know, so I I don't know if I follow them. Um, but um, but yeah. Uh, as far as the match, um, I I thought that I thought that everyone looked pretty good. Honestly, I thought that Huss was like super over. I thought Loke and Devito's chops, like to Jacobs, were very hard. Devito destroyed Evans with cross faces, and the crowd went nuts for that, which is cool in a match with so many high spots. The crowd can go nuts for um, for just some big cross faces. And Evans kind of shows one of his big uh, skills in this match, which is taking a lot of punishment. Um, Shelley continues to impress with his cool moves and stuff, and I actually. I actually, I didn't remember who won this match, but I expected them, that team, to lose just because of the promo that Shelly cut on Jacobs the night before, where it's like, you're not going to let me down, right? And then, of course, he does let him down by taking the the fall, but I, know, I thought the match had a lot of cool moves. I thought the pace was really good. I um, I, I couldn't tell. There was, a, there was a spot where Loke, 
like he was power bombing Evans into the pile, and it looked like Evans like reversed it by moonsaulting off of Loke's shoulders. But then the announcers treated it like um, like Evans was power bombed. Like I so I couldn't tell if Evans was doing the move or Evans was getting the move done to him. But I guess ultimately, when you're falling onto a big pile of guys who are catching you, does it really matter? Um, Meanwhile, uh, Seidel hit a, uh, a shooting star press onto the pile, and I was actually wondering, like, legit, do you think Mark Briscoe was upset about that? Because, like, that's his big spot. Like, in all these matches, he does the shooting star press to the floor, and Seidel, like, brand new to the company, just does that, and I'm not sure. And then uh, Gabe calls Evans's uh, springboard dive an Arabian twisting thingy to the floor, which I also <laughs> enjoyed. Then the crowd chanted for Daisy Hayes, I assume wanting her to dive, but she did not. Um, I was surprised by that because everyone else was doing dives. Why wasn't Daisy and then the referee after that? No men on woman violence for the second straight show. So reborn, we, we are reborn. It, it is officially retired. We will not. I mean, we'll we will point as out soon as they as, as soon as they do it though. You guys are going to be all over it. And God, I mean, we will point it out. Work. But three for thirty. I mean, thirty-five for thirty-eight doesn't have a great ring to it. it, it it's it's the counter is over. I mean, they've done two shows in a row without. I'm, they will they will bring it back, but it's not this. this the streak is dead. Long live the streak. And uh, I thought this match was real one of the better scrambles they done, have done in a while. Uh, I, I compare. I agree with you, Matt. It's not as good as the four way as a match, but I thought it was a lot of fun. And I think I compare it to the four way in the sense of this is another match where just like everyone's good in this match. I enjoyed the work of everyone in this match. A lot of these guys are going to go on to bigger things. And I know some people don't like the Carnage crew, but I think even they, I, I like them. But I think even if you're not a huge fan, I think they add a different element to scrambles like this, which you're full of smaller high flyers. And some of the biggest reactions in this match were like you were saying, like, DeVito just beating the shit out of Jack Evans. Like there, there's a spot in these matches for the big bruising team that like tosses around the little guys and throws and, chairs at the crowd. Yeah. And gives and, hugs. And gives you know. hugs. <laughs> and, and, and I also just have to mention like this match is the best example, but this was true all night. This crowd elevated everything like this yeah, match. This, this into everything. Yeah. This crowd made this match like another level of good that it like, not that everyone wasn't already good, but the the crowd made this match incredibly entertaining because it was just such a good like well invested crowd. And I think also the other thing I, I'd like to mention is like any any incarnation of the Ring Crew Express versus the Carnage Crew was always so so much fun. Yeah, so, like, just just a really good combination. Um, I also thought that like um. I thought everyone got a chance to shine. I thought Matt Seidel got the least amount to shine, but every move he did, he only got to do like three or four moves, but every move he did was like a big, impressive move. But I thought this was a match where everyone looked good. And again, like the four-way, this is the same structure as every scramble you've seen. The dive train was there. Every cliche, it was still there. The only difference was... All the the average level of talent was a little bit higher because everyone here is entertaining, and there's just that excitement from the crowd and that excitement of going, these guys are going to make it. Like all these guys are going to be parts of Ring of Honor or already are parts of Ring of Honor that are like good contributors. And I was left with one other thing I want to ask you guys about, which about like a change in wrestling because. One thing I've noticed watching these last few Ring of Honor shows, but especially this one, was how over the Jimmy Jacobs Huss gimmick is. 
in every show he goes to in every city. And it's funny because I remember at the time people would be like, yeah, that gimmick is awesome, but it's Bush league. It's too indie. You know, if he wants to be a bigger star, it'll, it'll never, it'll never, you know, work somewhere else. And he did change his gimmick. And I feel like wrestling has changed because I feel like nowadays you look at guys like Joey Ryan or Orange Cassidy or Luchasaurus or Marco Stunt or Michael Nakazawa or anyone like nowadays it feels like if you're a comedy guy or have a very kind of out there gimmick that gets over people like some people hate it like the Jim Cornettes of the world but you can get like a good job and not feel pressured to change it and I feel like in this era of 2004 like a Jimmy Jacobs got pressured to to switch a gimmick that was clearly working for him. But also, if WWE was still the only game in town, he would also have to still have to change it yeah. because WWE would never go for something like that. You know, WWE wouldn't push Orange Cassidy as himself, most likely. But I, I just feel I just got this feeling. I realized, like Jimmy, if Jimmy Jacobs was around the Husk gimmick today, he'd probably never not be the Husk guy. Like, he'd probably be in AEW right now as Hussman Jimmy Jacobs, and we wouldn't see the rest of the Jimmy Jacobs stuff, which is kind of a weird thought. But I just feel like nowadays they'd be like, at least with, like you said, Matt, it probably would not with WWE, but with companies like AEW or even other companies, they wouldn't, they'd be like, we want the guy that's over on the indies. We, we're not going to say you're too indie and this gimmick won't translate. And I guess, obviously, there's good points and bad points to that, but I feel like wrestling has changed in that sense. Us, yeah. how, how how could you not like it though? Like that's a thing where like that Chicago wanted Chicago wanted a fantastic wrestling show during this time period, and more importantly, Chicago just loves saying "hus." I mean, you know, when when it, when the Berserker came to town back in ninety two ninety three, I mean, it was a fucking hussamodium. And it's one of those things where you know, if you're not a long term fan, you can go to a show and instantly get what the fun of this gimmick is after watching it for ten oh, seconds. Absolutely, you know, yeah. like you know, and it just wow, just seeing Jimmy doing that, like it's so weird because I deal with Jimmy on a regular basis now, and you know, it's taken me almost three years not to sit there and while I'm talking to him, like to sit there and say, okay, Jimmy, so for this promo, I want you hus hus, you know, like <laughs> it's like you know, it, it's something where wow, like I can't believe how long ago it was like that's just he looks so like jimmy was one that looked incredibly young here shelly looked young i mean everyone everyone looked damn young here and it was it was a fun fun little scrambled uh tag match keith now you just gave me this idea by the way what you said a few minutes ago that the the berserker back in the day should have been a pitch man for um stomach like stomach medicine called hussamodium oh god <laughs> Oh, oh, what you gotta do? <laughs> <laughs> That's the best reaction. Um, and the only the, the only other speaking of um, bowel problems, one other moment I have to mention, which is on commentary. Uh, at one point, Devito levels Jack Evans with a clothesline, and Gabe actually says the sentence: "Maybe Devito believes Jack Evans took a crap in his bag with that clothesline," and. I just love the idea. I wanted Gabe the whole night. Every time there was a big move that the, from the current crew, like I want him every time to go, boy, that you know that pile driver. But you, know, the current crew, think you know that Alex Shelley took a crap in their bag after that pile driver. Like everything has to go back to the crap in the bag storyline. Well, it would it would have been we- sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Didn't they mention though the fact that like Don and Marcos was were exonerated for not putting <laughs> the crap in their bag? Was like, uh, what? How did that? That like you know was that done in a pre-match promo or something like that where the scientific evidence proved 
that shit was not yours. I feel like I feel like I feel like Shelley and um, and Jacobs and Seidel should have been pre-exonerated based on the fact that they were not present the night <laughs> exactly. that that incident occurred. You don't think they could have been on Ring Crew? You don't think the Ring Crew? Like, believe you me, the one thing you want to make sure with your bags is make sure they're sealed up while they're around the Ring Crew, fellas. Mm-hmm. I guess it's true that ROH did allow randos on the Ring Crew back then. I remember being asked a few. T- I didn't do it, but I remember being Jeez. asked a few times if I wanted to take down the Ring. That definitely happened. Well, well uh. think about it this way. What about that poor guy that you know was trying to learn a wrist lock from Brian Danielson? They got slapped in the face. Don't you think he was all woozy and thought that that you know maybe some Ojo's bags looked like a <laughs> a, a portal lead of some sort? That, that's suspect number one, in my opinion. Absolutely. Uh, so after it, it was match- actually it was actually your boss though, right? Your boss was the one who crapped <laughs> in their bed. That's official part of the story. Oh yeah, we, we God, we know someone that knows the guy responsible for the greatest angle in pro wrestling history, the biggest mystery ever. Oh, it was it was well, who turned off the lights when Homicide uh, threw the fireball? Wasn't that oh. a bigger mystery? Uh, come on, crap I think it was bag. Danny too. No, I, I, yes, the, <laughs> the crapping in the bags. I really, I really should talk to him more about that. So. Uh. Well, I wonder like, what you should ask him is when he was first asked to start coming to ROH more often, did they tell him in advance that he was going to be the one to have craft in their bags? That's what I want to know. Did he know that going in? Like, uh, yeah, I'm, com- I'm coming in as the shitter. That's, that's my gimmick. I'm the guy who shits. <laughs> um, hold on. After- yeah, hold on. Texting Danny Daniels. When you came <laughs> to ROH, did you <laughs> know or realize you were going to be the one to shit in the Carnage Crew's bags. All right, done. <laughs> <laughs> we're making history uh, here. Yeah, we, I mean, we get to the bottoms of the biggest questions in Ring of Honor, clearly, with this podcast. Uh, after the match, Shelly goes to shake Jacob's hand, but instead shoves him down to the mat with his foot and proceeds to pantomime, kicking dirt on him, which prompts loud, sustained asshole chant from the crowd. So real heel heat. You know, people love Jimmy Jacobs here and followed by a big hus chant as Alex walks to the back. So Alex full blown heel here, you know, foreshadowing what's to come in a couple shows. But one thing I liked about this when he did that, he didn't do it necessarily like a traditional heel beatdown, where it was sort of like okay, I'm shaking your hand, now I'm going to kick you. Like, it wasn't like all of a sudden he piled down on him and started beating him up real much, where it was very, I I thought it was an effective, subtle little heel thing. Yeah, you knew it was coming. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to really pretend and try and shock everyone. It was like, no, I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm being a jerk here. But uh, now we got to the match. I saved first thoughts for me on this one because I have some things to say about this match. We get to... The Ring of Honor World Title match, Samoa Joe successfully defended the title when he defeated Matt Stryker via submission in 18 minutes, 57 seconds, using a combination triangle choke and armbar. Okay, um, okay. first let me say, sorry Matt Stryker, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to beat up on you, you are perfectly, you're, you're fundamentally sound, I've enjoyed some matches, you've worked, there's nothing wrong with you, there are a lot of wrestlers that are worse than you, but... <laughs> let's go through this is in some ways I would argue this match is the end of Matt striker. Um, you could argue that it was what that the first end of Matt striker was when he started the, uh, field of honor tournament because Matt, as you and I have talked about before, he was actually having some surprisingly like good performances. And it felt like once he started that tournament, 
the good performances stopped for whatever reason. You could argue that the final match of the Field of Honor tournament, the BJ Whitmer match at a final battle 2003, was the end of Matt Stryker because I feel like that match was so poorly received by a lot of people online and in the crowd that uh, it probably hampered his push. But I would argue this in some ways was the end because this is probably, along with that Field of Honor match, the biggest opportunity Stryker ever got. He got almost 19 minutes for the world title against who I would argue someone Joe was already probably one of the best wrestlers alive at this point. And this is just average, in my opinion. But let's go to the background for what bugs me about this match. The whole story for this match is that Samoa Joe is hurt from having a fireball thrown in his face the previous night. As Keith has pointed out, they spend the whole show going, Joe's not showing up yet. Joe's not showing up yet. Oh, Joe's here. He's only got like 15 minutes to prepare. Uh, I think during this match, Gabe on commentary even points out that um, Stryker got to Chicago in time to get a fairly good sleep. And that Joe was, was great, by the way. Yeah, and Joe was that in was... the hospital all night. Yeah, yeah you wouldn't want to say... Oh, I thought that was great for the fact that it's like, here's here's the one, the challenger is well-rested. The champion was in the hospital all night, and we had no clue that he was in the hospital. Like, we should have definitely said that while we were giving you constant Joe updates. I felt it, it could have been like staying at the Clash of the Champions or the Sandman during Hardcore Heaven 97, which was uh, done, what, 22 years ago, the day we were recording this, where we have real-time updates from the hospital in Samoa Joe, Counterman during an ambulance to get to the building in time. So you get all of that background, you get all that buildup and you also have Matt Stryker say, I'm going to take out Joe's leg. And so you think you thinking about all that. You think I know exactly what this match is going to be. It's going to be Joe really in peril, uh, Stryker on mostly on offense and Stryker really working over the leg. And then Joe having to pull out the win at the very end. And instead Joe eats Matt Stryker fucking alive for the first two thirds of this match, dominates, and Stryker only goes for the like like three or four times during this match. Most of those times it's on a counter, so it's like, oh, Joe tried to kick me and I just grab his leg and do a move. Almost every time after one or two moves, Joe takes back control of the match and usually hits them with a move involving his leg as if to say, fuck you, you're not going to hurt my leg at all. And strike it gets to the point where punk on commentary is like striker needs to work on the leg more i thought he said he was going to work on the leg and and at the end of the day in the final third striker does get a little bit more sustained offense he gets a he hits the death valley driver which gets a, a big near fall joe kicks out the last second and it does get a pop from the crowd that's the one big near fall but joe also pretty easily survives the striker lock and then joe wins and it's just, it goes completely against the story the whole show was trying to tell. And it, it also makes Matt Stryker look like a complete, he looks like a complete nothing here. He looks like a, a mid-card that Joe just toyed with for most of the match. A Joe that's supposed to be completely hurt and dead to rights. And then, I think there's one segment of this match that um really, it got my goat the most. And it, it typifies this match more than anything else. Um, 
finally striker after getting beat down for a long time he uh joe goes to the top rope for some reason which is weird because joe never goes to the top rope but it's obviously only so matt striker can do his big run up to the top rope and do a belly-to-belly superplex move which is really impressive and he does it and so striker finally has the offense he, he's ready to go and he um you go okay striker you got the you got the match now you can call what you want to do this is your time to shine he lightly hits joe in the corner a few times he moves him to the other corner, hits him a few times. He does a snap mare. He goes for a cover, and then he puts on a chin lock. And I just thought to myself, you could have done anything here. You're you most of this match, you got your ass kicked. You could have done anything you wanted. And Matt, I thought this is like the wrestling equivalent of what you said before about Striker not th- showing fire in his promo. He could have done anything here, and he did. Like, he wrestled like I would have wrestled in this match. Like, I'm just going to do as little as I can get away with and then give it back to Joe because I'm too embarrassed to, like, be responsible for my life. And I don't want to watch me. I don't even look in the mirror, Matt. And Matt Stryker was me in this match. And I don't like it. And I don't like me. Matt, what did you think? (laughs) Well, I like you. Um, and I, I think you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're fine. Tolerable. I mean, you know, you're you're no Matt Stryker. I'll tell you that. That's right. No, I like you, Trevor, a lot. I I like Matt Stryker, uh, you know, somewhat. I, um, don't know him as personally. Um, so I don't know, you know, his true desires and, and fears the way I know yours. Um, but, um, I'm the desires. Definitely. (laughs) Striker's <laughs> desires coming soon. Can you, ask, you th- after dark. can you ask Danny Daniels how what he knows about Matt Striker's <laughs> desires? Um, no, don't please don't please don't do that. Um, That's just scared. Yeah, uh, but um, no, I see. I I agree with you pretty much with everything you said. I don't probably feel as intensely about it as you do. Um, see, there's a part of me that wonders like whose fault this match is. Like, I, it doesn't feel like it's really Matt Striker's fault. I don't think Matt Striker went to Joe and he's like, "I just want you to kick my ass for like the entire time, and then I'll do like four moves, and then that's it." Um, I, I don't think that. So I, maybe Striker came in with this idea that he was going to have a great match, and then everyone was like, "Yeah, no, you're not going to do anything." And Striker was like, "All right, well, fuck it." Um, I think that's possible. Um, You're right that it doesn't go with the storyline of what they were building up, like that Joe was hurt or anything like that. Clearly, Joe just came in, wrestled, other than having like a, I don't know, I guess it was makeup, like this mark on his face. um, For those who didn't see the match, he's wearing this bandage on his face that falls off like within the first minute. I don't know if it was meant to fall off or not. Well, clearly it was because he has this big fake black smudge on his face for the entire match. It looks like a big, huge sideburn. It just basically looks like <laughs> that is it. what it looks like. Incredibly uneven sideburn. And Ga- and Gabe's like, oh my god, he's been disfigured. I get it's like just like homicide. Like, oh my god, he's going berserk, which and we don't actually see that. Um, but um, yeah, but then he just proceeds to dominate. Yeah, like you said, striker doesn't really do the leg. Does a chin lock. Um, he pokes Joe's eye once, so he's very clearly showing a lot of emotion there. But yeah, very little, very little done by him. It's it's. It's weird. Um, as far as, um, like, yeah, there's really not much memorable about the match other than what you already said. It was, like, pretty much average, except maybe a little worse than that just because it went on longer than it needed to, considering its quality. Um, Gabe at one point on commentary says that everyone on the crew had a seven-hour drive the night before, so it's like, I always just think, like, man, 
this is one of those moments where I'm glad I'm not a wrestler, um, that I would not have to make a middle-of-the-night seven-hour drive. He also mentions that Matt Stryker slept till three in the afternoon, which, um, I mean, I guess... Relatable. It's re- yeah, it's a re- <laughs> relatable. That's fine content right there. <laughs> yeah. So, he, I mean, I, I was going to make a mean joke about, are you sure he didn't sleep until, like, 11 p.m. that night? But... I, uh, I I don't I don't actually want to be that mean to Master because I really am not sure that the problems in this match were his fault. I um it felt like just everything was conspiring against this being a good match, like the the booking of it and everything. I just I just can't believe that Matt Stryker was the one who's who's this who had this idea to lay out the match this way. It was weird because I, I, you are right in the sense I had that thought too, where I felt like. It feels like Joe's calling the match, but at the same time, I've seen Joe work a lot of lower card or lower card guys, and he usually does a great job at giving them just enough to look competitive, but still winning the match and looking strong. And I've rarely seen a match like this where he just, I think for the first 13 minutes, Matt Stryker barely gets like any sustained offense. He just, Joe just dominates the shit even though the story is supposed to be joe was just up all night and had his face burned off he dominates striker more than he's dominated like anybody the only thing that makes you think maybe it has something to do with striker is going back to that one sequence where you feel like when matt striker was in control he probably got to decide what he wanted to do and the fact that he did so little with it maybe matt striker just something about him froze or something i, I don't know I don't know what changed in him between the Matt Striker before the Field of Honor tournament and the Matt Striker after it, because it's like a different wrestler. There's something completely lost in him now. Yeah, and uh, definitely. Different person, almost. Keith, um, what did you think about this live? Because I'm just I'm going to say it's okay if you really like this live, because I was surprised how many people at the time liked this match. And in fact, I'll look it up while you're talking. Um I believe Wade Keller gave this match a ludicrously high star rating. So what did you think about this? It was fine. I mean, I, I think it was a little bit better than I expected, but it's still one of those matches where no one expected a title change on the show. So it was one of those things where there were some good parts. I mean, I, I know from watching it, from watching it when I watched it earlier on today, my big thing about it was, you're right, it didn't seem like other than one or two parts, he really wasn't focused on the legs or on his horrible face disfiguration that he got the night before uh or the fact that he was a lot more well rested than joe uh but there was one part though where i believe in one of the pre-match promos because matt striker got two pre-match promos to talk about this match on, on this show on this on this vhs slash dvd i believe that he sat there and said that all he needed to do was give him the dvd and when he got the dvd the 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 crowd definitely popped for him and he did get a near fall on it so i didn't think it was that bad of a match but it wasn't anything that would be like in the notable title defenses that samoa joe had during his most excellent reign this isn't one that was well remembered and with good reason and I should mention, I, I thought the match was fine. Like, it was solid. It's just disappointing, one, because it's Samoa Joe, and Samoa Joe matches are usually great at this point. Mm-hmm. Although there was still fun to watch him. Like, he really kicked the hell out of Stryker. Um, he did the uh, to- elbow suicida tope, but his legs caught. But he still did on the rope, but he still managed to connect, which was like a crazy close call. And there was one fun moment where... um. Joe is going to do a uh, 
an Olay kick and he's going to a part of the crowd where he needs to get another chair and he goes to the crowd and you can hear Doug scream panicked behind the camera. The chairs are tied down. The chairs are tied down. And Joe just grabs the chair anyway and just jerks it out with a rip like he's the Incredible Hulk. He clearly does not care that the chairs are tied down. And I was just like, Samoa Joe, you're pretty cool. And uh, <laughs> and and he does the Olay because it's just so funny. You can hear Doug just panic like, no, Joe, like the, the chairs are tied down. The chairs are tied down. And he does it. But yeah, it's just it was disappointing because it was Joe and because – I also remember this. I remembered liking this match more than I liked it on rewatch. And also because I was kind of rooting for Matt Stryker. Like I wanted him to look good here. And I just felt like he wasn't even trying. And that's the thing. If I was sitting Matt Stryker down, I would just be like, son, I'm not mad at you because you failed. I'm mad at you because I don't think you really tried, son. Like I, I've seen you, me and your mom, we know you can do better than this, Matt. And it just, it, it felt that wow. way, but I'll, I'll say this. He didn't disappoint everyone. Wade Keller gave this match four and a quarter stars. And he said a sleeper of a great match, tone, perfect, stiff, believable. Uh, he only gave us a quarter star less than he gave homicide and Brian Danielson. And in fact, he gave this a quarter star more than the next match, the main event. So Wade Keller really loved himself. Some Samoa Joe Matt striker. Um, and that moves us on to the next segment as I click around on my notes frantically. Um, let me just go. Well, let me just I believe it's a promo with Alex Shelley, uh, talking yes. down to one Jimmy Jacobs who, oh. uh, yeah. One other thing I got to mention, uh, the crowd chanted whoop. There it is. When striker got the striker lock on, I have no idea why they did that. Well, you got to remember, though, uh, if, if you want some old Chicago background, uh, people really love tag team here. But <laughs> at, one point, at one point during one of the Bulls championship wins, it was the summer where there was the tag team, whoop, there it is. And then there was the 95 boys, woot, there it is. And it was very confusing to Chicago Bulls fans for my, like myself to figure out which one it was. Wasn't one of uh, them like, hoot, there it is, or something like that? Like, well, I think it was woot and hoot. Like, it's, it's very confusing still to... Yeah. This day, and I think that's the reason why people did it. But I, like I said, that was like 1996, like where "whoop there it is" was was a big thing. But I, th- I think people just love it. So I, I want to bring that and Hus back so badly now. <laughs> I remember, uh, like, if you watch like WCW Saturday Night in like 1993, you would also hear like "whoop there it is" a lot. Like it was a like it was it clearly was very popular among the wrestling audience for a good uh, clearly a good decade plus there. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was, there was, there was, of course, the whoop. There it is, which was by the Miami-based uh, group tag team, and then there was, uh, there was another one that was, I believe, the '95 Boys, which made it even worse for us. Uh, so, so when the Bulls won that year, it was very much so. What, oh, which one are they doing? I don't know, you know. <laughs> but I, I don't know why. Maybe Chad Collier was a secret tag team guy for all we know. <laughs> So after that, like uh, Keith mentioned, first we see the camera follow Joe back through the curtain, and he angrily asks the cameraman where Homicide is. He says yes, has wants a meeting with Homicide because they have a lot of business to discuss. And then we cut backstage somewhere else to join Alex Shelley and Jimmy Jacobs. Shelley says he requested this interview time to tell Jacobs he doesn't associate with losers. He says he doesn't need Jacobs hanging around. And again, he alludes to the Generation Next show that will be coming up on May twenty second, two thousand four. So just very simple, quick little 
segment there. And that brings us to the main event. Ring of Honor tag team title match. The Second City Saints of CM Punk and Colt Cabana defeated the Briscoes, Jay and Mark, to become the new Ring of Honor tag team champions. 19 minutes, 48 seconds. Um... Matt just sent me whoop there it is it, or Keith Lipinski yeah that was Keith uh, going, yeah <laughs> but, but there's some delightful pieces in the Wikipedia page about the differences between the two songs so I thought I, you guys would enjoy it I'm sorry for no, derailing great. the show like if I sat there and told you what Danny Daniels text response to me was on this where he did not know that uh, <laughs> he was going to be the one to shit in the Carnage Cruise bags breaking breaking news here this is this uh, is historic stuff Honestly, on a show where, where they kept doing breaking news on Samoa Joe's, th- I think this is a what? great tribute that we're getting <laughs> breaking news on equally important things like whoop, there it is, and what da- what Danny Daniels knew about the shit in the Carnage Crew angle. <laughs> you only hear it here on Through the Years. But, uh, so yeah, it, the match ended when Punk pinned Mark after hitting the Pepsi plunge. I think, Keith, as our guest, you should get the honor of getting the first appear on this match. But first, a little background I think we should mention, which was... As the Observer points out, that when this match was first booked, the idea was that it was going to be Bobby Heenan in Colt and, and uh, Punk's corner, and it was going to be Cornette uh, with the Briscoes, and, but the Feinstein thing caused Heenan to back out. And also, Cornette was going to get paid uh, $1,500 for this match because they thought it was going to be so huge to have Cornette versus Heenan. As a tape selling, and of course they would get to do that later in the year. But you were in deprived Chicago, of Chicago, right? Yeah, I, I believe were, they were, were able to do, actually do that in Chicago as well. Yeah, so I was going to say you were deprived of this, but I guess you were just delayed getting to see this. I think the one later in the year I thought was in um, in All-Star Jersey, yeah, Jersey. Hmm. Oh, was it? I'm not. Yeah, yeah. No. All Star Extravaganza Two was definitely in New Jersey, and that match was not treated like a main event. Honestly, it was like because that was the night of Joe versus Punk Three, and that was it wasn't. I wouldn't say it was an afterthought, but it was a, definitely a pre-intermission segment. And, and it's funny because the way the Observer was talking about in the months before this, it was like I think Dave said something like it was in their plans. It was going to be like one of their biggest tape selling things of the year they thought like this is going to be you know the idea that Heaton and Cornette in the same match for the first time in history and then like you said yeah by the time they get to it they don't treat it like this huge you know this is going to be the reason you buy an event type deal because Joe versus Punk had already become such a DVD mover on its own yeah so so that that's the background of the match we could have got Keith what did you think about the match we actually got Oh, I, I I really liked it. I mean, I think this was a very solid match. Lots of really good back and forth by all four guys in the match. Uh, I think definitely it was a, a very fun main event with the crowd favorites, of course, being the Second City Saints. And uh, I, I thought it was a very solid main event, and definitely the right team won over, given it was the Chicago debut of Ring of Honor in sort of a homecoming, as I mentioned before, for CM Punk and Cole Cabana. So... You know, I, I really, I thought this was a, a very good match and a very fitting way to finish the show. I, I like this match. I have to admit, this is a match that usually with Ring of Honor, uh, something I, we found watching the show, is pretty much every one of the great Ring of Honor matches has held up, at least in our eyes. This is a match I remember absolutely loving. It loses a little bit on this rewatch for me. I feel like it's aged a little bit. It's mainly because I feel like this match has a good structure where, you know, the 
Saints play the baby faces. They run wild at first, and it really it's a lot of fun. Like they're doing double teams and quick tags, and they're doing some comedy spots even. And the crowd's just eating it up. Like it looks so fun to be them at that moment. Like the crowd's just loving everything they do. And then the Briscoes get their heat segment, which is you know common good. And then they, the final few minutes are big, you know, bigger moves that everyone in and breaking up pins. So it's a good solid structure. I feel like it's the one of the first times in a big match where it's like just the bar for how crazy and how action-packed those final minutes go has been raised so much that maybe my memory, it was a little bit different. Even though there's huge things in this, like a Colt kicks out of the J-Driller, one of the early times that happens. And uh, this match also has one of my favorite spots in wrestling history, which is I love one of my favorite moves in wrestling. And I believe this is the first time I saw this is when someone is on someone else's shoulders for like a doomsday device and they turn it into a power slam where um, punk is on Jay's shoulders and Mark is going to do the springboard doomsday device and punk catches him mid you know flight and just power slams them off the guy's shoulders it is one of the most coordinated graceful coolest moves punk has ever done in his career and i just love 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 that spot but yeah the match is good and the crowd loves it and we i guess we should also mention this is one of those matches where gabe says i want to see it up in the stands with the fans i want to i want a good seat so i'm not going to call this match which you would think shouldn't if in theory he's supposed to be calling this live, wouldn't that be a better seat than wherever he'd go in the stands? But, you know, there's no commentary for this match, so you get to hear a lot of crowd interaction, including um, Punk getting Mark in a double knuckle lock and then asking him, how do you like that chicken fucker? Or um, Punk going early on into the camera saying, I'm a big baby face. Or the crowd chanting, you fuck chickens, you get to hear that crystal clear because there's no commentary. But you also get to hear Punk being one of the loudest spot callers of his generation and just clearly and obviously frequently just mumble, 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 spot, mumble, 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 spot, not really how to get it all, but still, still a very good match. I, I would put just a little bit below the, uh, the homicide Dan- uh, Danielson match, but I also really like this match too. Um, Matt, what did you think about this? You know, a big Babyface end ending match here. I, I think I liked it more than you. Um, partially, some of the things I liked were some of the things you didn't like. Like I liked a lot of the stuff you liked too. Like I thought that power slam was awesome. I liked the the Mark turning the you know when when the when the Saints attempted the Doomsday Device and Mark turned it into a, a reverse Rana on Cabana. I liked that. But what I liked about this match was its simplicity. Like, it was, it had the very classic structure, you know, the babyface shine, I thought they did a great job with that early, you know, Cabana got to, you know, they did like, you want Cabana, and they pumped, they pumped the crowd up for him getting in the ring. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, they did a, um, when they did like their little like, like arm shimmy elbow drop, uh, like, you know, that was great. And then, when the Briscoes took over, Mark looked great, I thought. I mean, I thought they both looked good, but Mark's, like, heel stuff was great. Like, we would do the accidentally kneeling on Punk's knee while he was being counted. He spat at Cabana, and that popped the crowd like crazy. He knocked Cabana off the apron. And then, you know, Punk got the hot tag, and they did all sorts of cool stuff. And then, like, they didn't they didn't try to make it fancy. Like, they just they did a few big moves. Cabana kicked out of the J-Driller, which... <laughs> Finally, my prophecy has come true. This has happened again. <laughs> Two years after, two and a half plus years after I thought it happened, but um, 
but you know they got some good near falls and then they just went to the finish where um where they were going to double superplex punk off the top rope punk threw jay off the top pepsi plunge mark got the win they didn't try to they didn't try to get cute with it they just gave people what they wanted and they did a great job the whole match the characters shine through the uh the moves all look good there wasn't a lot of botch stuff or really much of anything there were some cool moves so i would put this in the great category i thought this was on par with the danielson homicide match and i thought it was one of the matches where actually not having commentary helped um you know, just less distraction. Like, the crowd was so good for this match, and the crowd interaction was so good that I thought hearing all of it really enhanced the match. The storyline was simple enough that you didn't really need the crowd, I mean, need the commentary to explain any nuances. Um, I thought they did a great job. I thought it was a great, like, classically built tag team match. I still agree. I think my favorite part of the match was that start part, because it's, so, it's, it's kind of rare sometimes in indie wrestling where, like, it has that vibe that sometimes like a WWE house show that goes to a place that hasn't seen WWE in a while live where it's like the crowd is so ready to eat out of those guys hands. And then they give them exactly what they want to start with. Like they just want to see, you know, cult and punk have fun and run wild and be the baby faces. And they just like give it to them. And the crowd is so happy for that. And that's just like so often in indie wrestling, I feel like the guys feel pressure to be like, I gotta be my ultra serious self. I've got to go a mile a minute. I got to give them everything. And there is some, a charm, like you were saying about something that's a bit more simple and just kind of like old fashioned in a weird way. And right. Yeah, right. I, but with I, modern moves, well executed. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. No, no. Um, so after the match, uh, BJ Whitmer attacks the Saints, and the and Jay Briscoe joins in. Mark can't because he's completely out of it from the Pepsi plunge. And then Ace Steel comes out, and he destroys BJ with a chair shot to the end. So nice little bit of booking that Gabe did. He likes that sometimes where you get symmetry where the show starts with BJ you know, hitting Ace with a steel chair to the head after their match, and now Ace gets his revenge. Punk and Cabana eventually recover, and Ace raises their arms as Copa Cabana plays. They pose and celebrate for an extended period of time as the crowd cheers for them. And eventually they chant for Ring of Honor, and then eventually they just chant for Chicago. And then Punk turns to the camera, and this is a pretty crazy moment, and he says right to the camera so everyone can hear at home, I don't want to be a big superstar, because I don't care. And he flashes a big smile, and it's like, huh, that's... That, uh, that That's something he said a few times during these years. Like, I don't really see myself ever going to WWE. I don't want to be that kind of guy. And it's funny. I, I, I don't want to say that Punk regrets that because I think he got a lot of money and memories and his wife out of going to WWE. But it's kind of funny to be part of you wants to reach to the camera and go, you should listen to this guy, Punk. Like, <laughs> old Punk, old Punk might have some advice for... Older, but then no, I I still think Punk's got to be happy with. I mean, he he came out with that a net positive. I would say even if he there's probably parts of it <laughs> that did not work out. So he's Keith, saying Keith, it, Keith, is Keith, is you is Keith, you wish yeah. Text Danny Daniels and ask him what CM Punk's true desires were. <laughs> I'm too busy. He he's been doing the thing you know when you're replying to a text and you're seeing the bubbles. He's been doing that for two up uh, for the last forty five minutes. <laughs> 
we're talking about Matt Stryker's sexual fantasies, guys. So uh, I'd be a little bit curious. But I mean, I wish, I wish only we could have like a special ver- edition of this. As Punk is saying that, all of a sudden you see Jack Evans break dancing in front of him saying he got served. So, <laughs> Boy, you, you, man, no wonder you're a producer. Well, no, it's, 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 uh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was a, a wonderful night. I, I love the bookend. Cause like, it's weird because the show was bookended with, you know, wonderful chair shots, which is always fantastic for what we know with CT and everything else. But then also it's bookended by promos, which, uh, show the original stuff promos. So I, I, I enjoy that aspect of it. And you guys are both right. I thought the match was very, very good. It wasn't like state of the art futuristic stuff. It was really good, solid tag team wrestling. Pepsi, Pepsi plunge finish, and then you know, Ace Ace Steel getting his revenge, and then eventually the next Chicago Ridge show would eventually have uh, the Second City Saints versus Moff and uh, Whitmer in that second uh, in that uh, in the street in the Chicago street fight. So it was a really good bookending for what we would see in the future when they came back to Chicago, which they announced that they were on the day of that show. So it was an overall a fantastic night of pro wrestling that, I mean, a great city, you know, you guys mentioned the fact that there was no commentary for the final match and how great the crowd was. And, uh, you know, thanks guys. I, I, I would like to think that I was partly responsible for that considering I was one eight hundredth of that crowd. So I credit you honestly, completely. I think you, you, it was all you fantastic. So, uh, yeah, we just have a couple little backstage things. We cut to Joe and homicide, confronting each other in the building long after the show is over. Joe is wearing a New Japan towel all over his head, presumably so to cover his cheeks, so he doesn't have to reapply more black makeup for a quick promo. Uh, he and Homicide decide to head into the men's bathroom to revol- resolve their issues. Which Boy, was I've the men's there. bathroom I mentioned earlier on, being in some courses hideously disgusting and awful. So, so like... The- the fact what happens to them in there makes it even even more squ- for the squeamish. The riskiest spot of the night. And uh, the Ring of Honor cameras go to follow before Joe stops them. Joe tells the cameraman that the only reason the cameraman's there is to find out who walks out of the bathroom and who doesn't. And then we hear some fight. We just see the camera just shoots the closed bathroom door. And we hear some fighting sounds or grunting sounds. Maybe they're using the bathroom first. And we <laughs> cut to... The Carnage crew, somewhere else backstage, they say it wasn't a good weekend for them. Why? Because they didn't find out who shit in their bags. Somehow, their plan of solving a mystery by competing in professional wrestling matches hasn't worked out for them. Uh, They say their families and bosses crap on them enough, and then they decide to head to the nudie bar like they're Al Bundy. Which is fantastic because there is actually a nudie bar right by the Chicago Ridge venue called Polecats, where at one point, I believe, I saw one of the Briscoe brothers buy the man that just won the G1 a lap dance at, and he was very happy for that. Wow. <laughs> that's a good story, man. Right, so, so, I, got, I got at least five more of those stories, and then I'm all tapped out, guys, so I got I to gotta use them sparingly, so there will be no, no more new news stories on the show. <laughs> okay. Fair enough, fair enough. You've, done, you've, 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 given us, you've given us so much already. Yes. Um, and then we are back to listening to Joe and Homicide groan on the other side of a bathroom door. I just wrote here, I've been there before. Uh, we cut to CM Punk backstage with his tag t- team title belt. He says, tonight they proved that the Saints are the toughest tag team in wrestling today. Colt interrupts his promo with by blowing a big party favor right in p- front of Punk's face. 
He announced it's good times, great memories. Punk gets covered in silly string and confetti as a ton of people walk in to celebrate, including Becky Bayless. Punk no-sauls it all with a big fake frown, and he just says to the camera, yeah, my life is a war. So classic Punk cabana. Um, and Becky chemistry. Bayless, who's just showing up here for no reason whatsoever, yeah. with a special K T-shirt, which I was worried there because I was worried about the new the the streak coming back potentially. But then remember, <laughs> no. But I remember when they were actually filming this. This was like right after the show because I was waiting to talk to some people right by it, and all of a sudden you're hey, like so it was it was pretty cool. Yeah, so I, I'm, Punk must have been really upset that Becky Bayless showed up to his straight edge party, given that her whole crew was all about doing drugs. <laughs> But special special they? K I'm talking about. I'm not talking about anything in real life. So, uh, yeah, I have to admit, uh, the one thing I've, I noticed watching this show is that uh, I get depressed watching Colt and uh, Punk being pals, knowing what the future holds. Like, it kind of, how dare they get into a large money dispute and, like, l- throw away a decades-long friendship and hurt, mildly hurt my enjoyment a 15-year-old wrestling. Cause My, I still have a dream that one day, could be in a long time, one day they will they will reunite. That's my dream. I, I, it's just, it, it's sad, you know, but I guess stuff like that happens. I mean, you and me, Matt, I, I've, been, I've been slowly, like, putting away a little bit of money every month for the eventual lawsuit that happens between us. So just to let you know, I'm coming strapped when it happens, Matt. Don't think I'm going to be unaware. Well, just remember, just try not to say anything that will get you sued on this podcast, like a G1 winner going to a strip club or (laughs) someone finding out when they got shit in a bag or, you know. You just shouldn't have said this year's because if you kept it more vague, it could have been Chono, could have been, you know, could have (laughs) been. Well, it was Chono. Who else do you think of? (laughs) (laughs) Now you are going to get sued. I really am by the estate of Masa Chono. Um. So finally, we cut back to the very... This is the way we end the weekend. We cut back to the bathroom door. It's all silent behind the bathroom door now. So the cameraman pushes open the door, and we find Joe and Homicide both laying on the floor of this grubby, horrific bathroom. Joe has fake blood on his chin, and his eyes are rolled back in his head like he's the Undertaker. Gabe screams, help! We need help from behind the camera, and he goes to start to run out of the bathroom. And that is how the weekend ends. The other thing, when it, when they were showing it on the ground, I, I, w- I was like, I, I was watching this with my VCR, and I sort of wanted to rewind it, because it seemed like uh, ha- Homicide definitely had wrist control still on it, so I started <laughs> screaming, wrist control, wrist control, and realized I didn't have a, 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 a remote control for the VCR and didn't really want to walk up. So I want to believe that actually Homicide still had wrist control on Joe when they, when they both uh, blacked out on the on the Chicago Ridge bathroom floor, which just the fact that that shows what true professionals they were to do that on the Chicago Ridge bathroom floor, which I would hope they did it after the show, after it was nice and clean and dry and sit there and say, okay, this is a time for us to sit there. Oh, wait a second. Lipinski's in the bathroom. Let's get wait till he gets out of here. <laughs> All right. Now he's out of here. We can sit there and do it. So. This show needed to end with um, that segment where it, the show ends with them both unconscious next to each other on the bathroom floor. And then Jack Evans comes out of one of the bathroom stalls and goes, damn, you both got served. And then he just and walks then, away. And break dances on top yeah. of both of them. <laughs> yeah, just fade to black. And then, but no, that's that's not the way how the show ended. That end, But it did end. And now it comes time for our thoughts on the show. Keith, what did you think about the show at the time, and what did you think about revisiting it 15 years later? 
watching the show, I mean, watching the show at the time, I remember it being a big, huge deal. I mean, because it was something where right after the RF uh, scandal broke, and it was something where I was, I was very excited about getting Ring of Honor in Chicago, just because I felt Chicago. You know, we might have had the LWF and some like Midwest Championship Wrestling and such, but it wasn't like a really solid. Chicago promotion that was out there during the course of that time because AAW didn't exist yet. So it was one of those things <laughs> where where I felt that it was it was the start of something great. And I mean, they came back what three times that year. So it was definitely the start of something good. Chicago always a great wrestling town. Like I remember being in Chicago in 1998 when ECW had its first show in Chicago and that being a memorable location. And this is on par with that. And uh I think just a top to bottom, a really solid show. Although we didn't get that extreme three-way dance between Raven, Jerry Lynn, and Justin Credible, or the pure title be- match between AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels, but uh, uh, you know, I was about to say we did get some Mojo and Matt Striker, but yeah, what are you going to do? But uh, no, I, I like the show, and, and it's something where, as much as I was around during ECW. And as much as ECW made me a wrestling fan, it shows like this that made me really want to get part of the business. And, you know, shows like this with promos backstage, shows like this with storylines that go, and and colorful characters. And even the colorful characters, uh, the non-colorful characters can be fantastic wrestlers. Like, this was something where I really think about this period of ROH being really the best period of Ring of Honor, and especially what we're going to see coming up shortly with the Generation Next Tension show and everything else that led into the summer i I really think that roh was solidifying its greatness during this time after a a dark uh sort of a dark speed bump so i I, I like the show and watching it back 15 years later i liked it as well now is i think it it held up pretty well i thought this was a really good show probably the Best of the year so far. I might, I might, I might say that. Yeah, actually, now that I think about it, I'd have to sit and think about it some more because I'm a ponderer. But uh, this was very good, and I, I think this is the show where it really felt. Even though this is stage two of the Great Reborn plan of 2004, this is the first show I felt like it, it felt like like we've turned a corner. Like just in the sense of there's a lot of depth on the undercard again. There's a lot of new guys that are just starting to make their name and catch on. And it, I just, uh, there was, there's just, it felt fresh even watching it now, having watched it, you know, a bunch of times in my life, it just, there's just that feeling of like, you're, this is the train is starting to leave the station and it, in a good way. And it, there, there's something about that where even though I don't think like, I think the Danielson homicide match is re- is great. I, I think the punk tag is uh, just a little below that, but there's nothing that's going to be like a match of the year contender, but there was a lot of on this show that was really good. And even that wasn't just really good, just like really again, fresh and it, and the crowd reactions, like everyone just seemed to be having a really good time. And it just, was a very infectiously like enjoyable show and as infectious as that bathroom floor. Matt, what did you think? Um, so on the list of shows, like we've watched in the entire time we've been doing the show, I'm not positive where this show ranks, but like pretty high, I think like top 10, at least, um, maybe even top five. Um, 
you know, I think if it was, if it had like that match of the year level match and the world title match was a little bit better, I think it would easily be a contender for the best show that we've watched. Um, you know, yes. it wasn't as big as some of the others. Like, it wasn't as like a big event the way Death Before Dishonor or the first anniversary or Final Battle 2003 was. But as far as a solid wrestling show from top to bottom, I don't know that they've done a better show than this, honestly. And the booking was really good too. And like you said, it felt really fresh. The timing of it was very important. I thought this was a legitimate like like great show um, for what ROH needed at the time. And, um, yeah, I'd say easily the best show of 2004, and one of the better shows they'd done, period, up until this point. Yeah, it's it's really nice after that period where we said, oh, they're kind of, you know, there's some of the shows are good, some are average, but it's kind of a little bit stagnant in some respects. And we kept saying, oh, it's going to turn the corner when we get to here. And it's good to realize that, like, our memories did not lie to us, that they absolutely, this is where it turns the corner. And, uh, yeah, that brings us to the end of the show. So for time, let's do some little plugs, as always with us, with Through the Years. You can contact us by writing to throughtheyears at gmail.com. That is T-H-R-O-H for through, at Trevor Dame on Twitter, at Mayor MGF on Twitter. We post on Voices of Wrestling message board, Pro Wrestling Only message board. We have little threads for the, in the plug sections. And uh, Keith, you've gotten to plug AEW a couple times through the show, but you haven't had the chance to do a really good full-throated spotlight on you plug so for any of your social media or i know you know aw's got its big annual gin lineman and uh, lineman tournament lineman i don't know why my mouth said that i know the name of the goddamn because you're hungry for some gym lineman so you know oh. that, that, that's some good vitamin for yourself I, yeah I, I am i am hungry but you've got that coming up not too long from now so you should tell yep. people how they should get to see how they could see that show well definitely if you've not purchased your tickets yet please do we are running two shows on august 29th and august 30th August 30th, of course, is sold out. The 29th, the tickets are moving very quickly. I hope to get announce a sellout later on this week uh, for our third annual 16-man tournament to celebrate uh, form, the life of former AEW owner Jim Lynham. Uh, it's happening this weekend, uh, the same weekend that many of the wrestling eyes will be on Chicago because of that uh, a little uh, mud, mud wrestling show known as AEW having their uh, most recent pay-per-view show here so it's going to be a great weekend Starcast is in town i'm really looking forward to it lots of lots of good talent the aw debut of willie mack uh joy lynch is coming back like i i'm really excited for what happens this year in aw it's been a i don't want to say a challenging year but it's been there's been a lot of things happening within the independent wrestling world but uh i think we've had some really good shows this year and i think you can check those out definitely on the high spots video network the best 9.99 in the business but definitely follow us on the Instagram, on the Twitter, at AAWPro.com. And definitely, if you have not seen any of the videos that uh, the Polish Rob has done for us this year, I think you're missing out because I think they've been some of the best story. Uh, getting to uh, learn about the guys and talking about the story points of AEW very well. I think actually on Monday night we're introducing, uh, we're doing a world premiere of our Sammy Callahan 
uh, video. So go ahead and check it so you can shit on him even more. So yeah, definitely. Uh, it's been a great, another great year for AEW. I'm looking forward to the tournament, but more importantly, guys, thank you for having me on your show. There's not a lot of Twitter accounts I'll put over, but both you guys, especially Trevor are very, very good at the game. So like, it's something where, you know, politically there's a lot of things at times I can't say, because of course, you know, I, I am of course a, one of them, uh, I'm, I'm part of them wig party people, but there's times where, where Trevor will keep me in stitches for days. So yeah. There, there's yeah. a reason why, like, I don't want to sit there and say, here are the people that you should follow on Twitter. Like I won't <laughs> sit there and do a follow Friday thing, but Trevor, Trevor, eh, eh, I, I don't want to discount you either, Matt, but I mean, both <laughs> you guys are very, very good at this Twitter business. And I, I hope this Twitter and this internet thing is more than just a fad because you guys do it both very well. And just the, the preparation you do for the show makes it really good. And just one quick correction and no, it's not about Danny Daniels or any poop. <laughs> the mistake I made was I, I, with the Bobby Heenan and uh, Jim Cornette, that was a matter of fact in at the all-star extravaganza three the thing i was thinking of of course was the mick foley stuff that happened in ring of honor where mick foley had a side and i forget it was mick foley and ricky it, ricky steamboat yeah yes so that happened i believe in chicago but that happened a year later so my apologies i am old oh and i, I want to thank you for those who don't know dr keith had to like run home from a block party and a pinata <laughs> just to get to the to, to do our show on a sunday on a weekend on a weekend night so uh, incredible like um <laughs> thanks and just a graciousness from us yeah thank that. you thank, thank you, you so much. much you're such a good guest and you're so gracious for helping us out on this you know dr keith you're an awesome guy and a big deal so you coming on our show <laughs> is a big deal I, and thank I, you I, 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 I am someone whose basic passion is professional wrestling. You know, I, I, I'm someone that enjoys a good joke, a good, uh, good humor thing. So I know when I listen to this and mock myself relentlessly for how bad I sound, I know I'm going to be something. And I'm glad we did not talk. There was not a lot of pinata talk on this because I would have <laughs> royally gone off. Because in general, like as a half hour before we were about to record, I was at this block party and they had a pinata. And I heard that they were doing a pinata. And most people, you know, a few years ago, I was like, you guys, you guys were like, oh, there's but yeah, that's great. And I'm just like, no, you guys don't fucking understand. Literally what's going to happen is someone a will potentially get hit with a bat that thankfully did not happen. Cause I almost had to spirit kid. That's another story <laughs> and a lawsuit altogether. The second part is, that the, what happens is as soon as the pinata breaks, the biggest kids will get the most candy. The smaller kids, hopefully you tell some of the bigger kids, hey, make sure the smaller kids get candies. No matter what, usually if you have a crowd of 10 kids, two of those kids will be crying. And there was about 20 kids going for this pinata. So it was just pinatas just bring tears and heartache. So, you know, instead of having a pinata, just give a little bit of each candy to each kid. You know, there's no reason to hit something for it, you know. So I'm, I'm anti-pinata, but I believe also this was something that was done. I, I believe this is a Larry David bit that I'm doing right now, which makes me even more agitated for the fact that I don't remember whether or not it is a Larry bit or not. And I've never taken a bump, guys. So think about that. That's telling you something about aging. I think we've, this show has finally done one thing. If we can't say nothing else, we've at least given people one really solid, important lesson, which is do not become a parent because you will become like a 
disenfranchised with pinatas, which I, I can't imagine a more horrible possible future. Well, so. that's, that's that's the thing. You don't want to sit there and you want to look positive on pro wrestling and pinatas or pro wrestling <laughs> pinatas, as it were. You know, I, I really think this pro wrestling tease thing is overdone. I think pro wrestling pinatas <laughs> is the next step. I'm surprised well, those don't exist already, but uh, <laughs> now we're going to make them. So um, thank you. That's another great thing you've contributed to the world, Dr. Keith. Thank God. It, and uh, so, yeah, next time we will be covering Round Robin Challenge 3. We'll be, me and Matt will be cracking that show open. Will it be full of candy or will it be full of small matchbox cars? I don't know. Um, there goes. <laughs> Matt, help me. <laughs> I, I really That's don't. I don't, I don't know that I can. Uh, okay, that show, it has uh, Spanky's Return to Ring of Honor. He wrestles Homicide, and it's got a round round and turn it for the tag titles. Debut of Mark wrestling. Nolte. That's what I remember most about that show. And the debut of Mark Nolte, Whoa. rest in peace. <sighs> See you at the crossroads. <laughs> okay, until next time, have a good time. Have a great time. <laughs>